This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. And happy upsy-daisy day. Do you feel it? It's also Best Friends Day. We've got a great show for you. Top of the morning. And uh, man alive, we are going to have a lot to talk about with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He is going to help us walk through what happened last night in the second to last primaries or the sixth Super Tuesday. I believe it was the sixth or the fifth. Number five. Number five. The fifth Super Tuesday Boy, oh boy, Hillary Clinton, she's been coronated, and we're going to be talking about that, about Donald Trump, uh, you know, is he is he calming the waters? Is he settling everybody down? We'll get into that. Also, throughout the show, we've got, uh, we're going to be talking about procrastination in hour number two, plus a little news flush in hour number three. Tons of information, all here to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the country? Well, good morning, Matt. So like you said, Hillary Clinton won the California primary. Um, the M- NBC News projected earlier Wednesday that she's going to take it. The projected victory will be the icing on the cake to a historic 24 hours that saw Clinton become the first female candidate on a major party's presidential ticket. It also will deal another blow to Senator Bernie Sanders, who has refused to bow out of the Democratic contest. Clinton declared victory Tuesday night during a celebration with thousands of supporters as she placed her nomination in the sweep of history for women's rights. She also praised Sanders who Tuesday night vowed to continue his fight until July and rallied her troops for battle against Trump. Bernie Sanders is reportedly going to lay off at least half of his staff on Wednesday, according to two people close to the campaign who spoke to the New York Times. Some of the staffers may move into work work positions in his Senate office, but others will simply lose their jobs. This announcement comes as Sanders has been adamant about remaining in the race, even as Hillary Clinton has been declared the presumptive nominee. An ex-astronaut has been charged with the murder of two young girls in Alabama. Astronaut James Housel Jr. seemed the very definition of someone with the right stuff. An Air Force Academy graduate and decorated test pilot, he commanded or piloted five space shuttle missions. Now a decade after his retirement from the space agency, the 59-year-old has been charged with murder after an early morning car crash Monday killed two young sisters. State police said alcohol and speed may have been factors in the incident. A California man was sentenced Tuesday to 12 years behind bars for attempting to join and provide material support to ISIS. Nicholas Michael Chuzant, who is 22, was arrested in March 2014 while traveling to Canada en route to Syria. He was indicted that month and pleaded guilty to one count of attempting to provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization. Lastly, Matt, I think you might like this one. What? Tell me. A monkey caused a three-hour nationwide blackout, according to Kenyan officials. The oh, Kenya boy. Electricity Generation Company said in a statement late Tuesday that a monkey climbed onto the roof of the Gitaro power station and fell onto a transformer, tripping it. Whoa! The oh. blackout lasted more than three hours Tuesday before power was restored. Uh, did the monkey survive that? No, nothing. Nobody said anything about if the monkey was okay. That is a toasted monkey. That monkey is... What is he? Crispy Critter. Yeah, you, I don't think you can fall on a transformer and walk away from it. Ah, 
Unless, of course, it was Optimus Prime. He wouldn't have hurt the monkey. Holy cow. Nerd alert. Three hours without power because of a monkey. Three hours without – okay. See? Again. I think I'd be okay being without power if I knew it was a monkey. It's been a bad couple weeks for monkeys and gorillas. For animals in general. Didn't you hear that Hogle Zoo lost a leopard a couple days ago? You hear the zoo in Utah – Leopard got loose. Animals are revolting. Be, before we, we continue, be we need to lay down a, a trigger warning for anybody who's sensitive to hurt animals. If you if you love animals, if you have a tender spot in your heart, I love animals. Then uh, trigger warning: we're talking about a monkey getting fried on a transformer in Kenya. I just think that the animals are starting to riot against humans. Apparently, uh, I think they're all mad about the gorilla. We, um, they all they heard are. the news. And about and the leopard. A leopard got loose, loose. in the Utah <laughs> Hogle Zoo. Zoo. And, you know, which is bad. Here's yeah, kitty. There Here's was kitty, people kitty, in the kitty, zoo. kitty, 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 kitty. They started shoving people into just like open yeah. like places. Well, they got them. See, they, <laughs> they, dar- they darted. The it was little, only, it was only loose for a, a half hour. It's all good. It's it, all good. It only ate three humans. Yeah. But. Well, two that were, you know, whatever. Whatever. They were jerks. <laughs> Anyway, they survived. Uh, that was cool. Caitlin, thanks for in, letting us in on the monkey news. Betcha. No monkeying around with you. I hope the monkey's okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, folks. Uh, we've got, uh, speaking of monkeys, a little segue for you there. What do you think? Hillary Clinton, she she celebrates her victory and had quite the, um, I don't know, I, I'll call it the coronation. It's it's official in everyone's mind except Bernie Sanders that Hillary Clinton – this is something we all knew, what, five months ago, six months ago. Hillary was going to take it. Um, but I'm thinking, uh, you know, the Bernster's not – he's not too excited about this. Bernie won Montana. Bernie won North Dakota. Clinton won California, New Jersey, New Mexico, and San Diego. See, Bernie was fighting – for delegates. Yeah. Then about April, he changed the message to, I'm going to have to court super delegates. Yeah. And then he's saying that um, she's not going to have enough super de- enough delegates yeah. she to clinch have the, it. Yeah. She, now yeah. they're saying after last night, Clenched, yeah. after Washington, D.C., she'll have enough delegates. Will she have enough pledged delegates after D.C.? That's what I read this morning. Okay, because if that's the case, then... He he probably needs to just bow out after D.C., which is next Tuesday. And he said last night he won't. Oh, yeah. Because here, you know why? This is why. And this is – I'm going to ask Joe this. Can if, – if you have a candidate who has um, a, an FBI in that investigation looming mm. over their head, would you get out of the race until they're cleared of that? No. So I – so the problem is – and this is what Bernie's got a little struggle with. He can't say that. He can't say, I'm just going to stay in until they've cleared Hillary. Because the minute he says that, it it puts even a bigger light on the fact that, you know, she may have done something wrong. So he just instead says, just waiting for the delegates. I mean, it's about and the math and the math ha- doesn't look good and all that. You he know. has this bigger goal of stopping Trump. Yeah, exactly. Right? So he doesn't mm-hmm. want to undermine the whole process. Right. Just keep himself in the picture just in case. But, like, I mean, how many of us wish that maybe there were more GOP people that had stayed in a uh, little longer? I don't know. Just than Trump? I mean, just because you, mm. at any point Trump could be indicted. Who knows? No, not really. But at any point it would have been nice to know you have someone to fall back on. But Sanders really, until the FBI clears her, I wouldn't leave. I'd stand right there. 
with all of my, what did he have, 10 million people behind him? Yes. I don't know. We're going to ask Joe if that's, am I just crazy? I think that's the subtle message that he can't speak. He can't say that message or it, it'll undermine Hillary. Hmm. Boy, I wasn't, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm super excited that the first female, that's great. That's awesome. But it, I didn't feel a lot of, I felt, did you see her little yeah. moment? Yeah. It just, it just was weird. I read something about how <clears throat> the AP makes their announcement. Yeah. And the day before, yeah, kind of steps all over her moment. Uh huh. And they had this two minute, two and a half minute video they wanted to put out, right? About we're looking, you know, uh, looking at the history of women. Is that no? Is that the one they showed? They showed that right before she really? got up there. Okay, I just saw it on, yeah. on YouTube last night. But it was just funny. They had this whole thing produced. It was going to be a moment. They wanted to control the message. And uh-huh. then the AP does it 24 hours before and steps all over I it. I didn't and- know that. But is the AP the one that put that video together? No, no, no. Meaning the, when oh, the AP named her, yeah, they the said nominee. you have enough delegates mm-hmm. and superdelegates right. to have to get the nomination 24 hours before California. Yeah. And then both the Bernie Sanders came out and said that was, you know, you're being too presumptive. And then mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's like, no, 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 no. We have California still. Yeah. Because they wanted no, to have they this were, yeah. huge thing. They changed her t- her Twitter icon, Facebook, did all this stuff. They, social media. they were ready to roll out the they, big launch. They had this launch. huge launch and the AP stepped all over. Oh. You know, like you step over jokes sometimes. Every day no. of my life. Punchline's coming. Huh. Blank. Killed it dead. It's um, it's a weird thing with her because it seemed like they were talking way too early because the polls were still open in California and they're basically calling it in right. a way. And people – I mean that I thought was like sacrosanct. I thought you didn't touch that. But apparently you the do. People can't – Control themselves. No. They have something. They have to get it out there. But, I mean, I compare it to the um, Barack Obama nomination moment. Totally different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I actually – I felt enthusiasm for Barack Obama uh, and not being a liberal. I felt – I still felt enthusiastic about this opportunity to create history. Mm -hmm. So here's history being created and – I didn't feel quite the same thing. Is it because there's baggage? I think so. There's the FBI stuff. The there's... messenger is the message is yeah. what Marshall McLuhan used to say, I think. And and so she's she still carries this message that we don't trust her. But, I mean, it would have been so amazing to have any other person. I don't know. I don't know if it's her, but it just didn't feel – to me, it just felt flat and kind mm-hmm. of fake. I was listening to the BBC this morning. They talked to somebody in uh, New York on the subway because that's what you do. Oh, yeah. And they're asking someone, what do you think about this? Hillary Clinton, the first female major party candidate? And she goes, eh. Yeah. She goes, eh, it's great. I'd like it to be somebody else. Yeah. But, I, mean, I think if yeah. it had been – I think <laughs> there would that. be more enthusiasm kind of universally if there was just a more inclusive person. I, yeah. I just – I don't know. I have the hardest time. Um, did you read that article about Hillary – it was wearing a twelve thousand mm-hmm. dollar jacket. Was it last last night or I don't know if it was last night's jacket, but she was wearing a twelve thousand dollar jacket when she was talking about poverty, e- poverty, and the, and the need to elevate. I think this was a couple of days yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. But she spent like six uh, six like, figures. They like said. a Versace jacket, and she yeah. had spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars on clothing and a pair and apparel for this last eight nine month run. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking. Now, it doesn't – Donald Trump spent $7,000 a suit. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I, I mean, whatever. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, I drive a seven thousand dollar suit. <laughs> so um, anyway, whatever. But, but how how many uh, how many suit coats can she mix? Well, I think she, to, that's the deal. Is women, I think, have a different burden. Well, they do. Men, but I mean, every time you look at Donald, he's wearing a blue suit. So her, you don't know yeah. if he has one or five. But her specifically, because she need, she has that one jacket that she yeah. likes to wear that style. Yeah, yeah. And she has all these different varieties. Yeah. It's like, how many different varieties of that jacket are there? She's going to find that, yeah. every one, yeah. apparently. Oh, yeah. She's got every one of them. There's like six of them. But she <laughs> then has her, I mean, her closet must be huge. Mm hmm. But and, like, like you said, there's just there's different demands yeah. where a guy can wear the same suit every single day. It's Doesn't, weird, and maybe that was it. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're not used to. No, it's Hillary. I think it's Hillary. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was. I wanted. Right. I wanted to be so excited for, her. and I wanted to be excited for women and my mom and my sisters. It just, I just didn't feel it the whole time. I have this dissonance, like she should be in jail. Yeah. But maybe she shouldn't be. We'll find out. But Bernie's not backing out. I promise until. He's not formally going to back out until the FBI says, ah, you're good. <sighs> you know what else was great about last night? I didn't, I didn't watch Donald at all. I didn't see or hear any Donald. I mean I heard them talk about him uh -huh. all afternoon. But we've got some quotes about Donald. Donald is now vying for Sanders people. Do you think there's any way he can get any? I think. There's Maybe a the little ones cross. that really are mad. Some are yeah. mad. Yeah, if they're really mad at the Democrats and at Hillary Clinton, then maybe. Yeah. Let's uh, let's listen to a few of these clips. Donald going after uh, Sanders supporters. To those who voted for someone else in either party, I'll work hard to earn your support. And I will work very hard to earn that support. To all of those Bernie Sanders voters who have been left out in the cold by a rigged system of superdelegates, we welcome you with open arms. The rigged system. Hmm. I bet there's a lot of Sanders people that are ticked. I mean, because that's – until she has the pledge delegates, it's not hers, but they right. handed – I mean, it would be if there was a blowout and it would be if there was nothing hanging over someone's head. And their conspiracy theories kind of been confirmed yeah. in a way as oh, yeah. the media announced the day before California uh -huh. that it was done. Uh -huh. and, and the day before – and a week before pledge delegates could ever fulfill the, the numbers, um, it's over. Hmm. Man. So we'll see if he gets those. But Clinton in her speech last night that, again, I felt was a little flat. Clinton, um, she had a few dings against the Trumpster. Here's one about bridges versus walls. On a society that is tolerant, inclusive and fair. We all believe that America succeeds when more people share in our prosperity, when more people have a voice in our political system when more people can contribute to their communities. We believe that cooperation is better than conflict. Unity is better than division. Empowerment is better than resentment. And bridges are better than walls. Hmm. <laughs> it just, it's not, I mean, I, by the way, all great words. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But it didn't feel like. There's a delivery. Yeah, does she? Oh, does she? I don't know. Does she believe that? I don't know. Where there's income equality, twelve thousand dollar jacket. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, again, who knows how much Mitt Romney's suit was, or Ann Romney's attire? Right. <sighs> <laughs>
Here's another one. Um, uh, Clinton, as your president, she's going to always have your back. So many of you feel like you're out there on your own, that no one has your back. Well, I do. I hear you. I see you. And as your president, I will always have your back. A little repetitive. Yeah. She, she, yeah. she has been criticized for having a delivery yeah. problem when she speaks. It doesn't really convey the energy she you know she wants. Yeah. So she goes to those applause lines and people are like, uh, okay, the uh-huh. right clap. That's where, you know, and it's not really clear. Do you know where it seemed most real? Um, which, and maybe this is the problem, is when she came out on stage – I don't know if you saw the beginning mm-hmm. of this thing. When she came out on stage and they were all cheering for her, it seemed very real because that probably was overwhelming. Here she was basically going to the big moment where she's going to acknowledge for the 50th time that she's got the nomination. Yeah. And um, that seemed real to me. It seemed like she was kind of overwhelmed a little bit by just the moment. Then when she talked about her mom, it seemed a little contrived because she was bringing up her mom. But you could tell that that was kind of moving. That's where I saw real emotion in the woman and then I didn't see any more emotion where you'd kind of think there'd be more emotion. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's what we battled all the time. Oh, yeah. What do you know? She, she may very well be the next president of the United States. First, uh, first female president. How seriously historic is that? I mean, no matter what you think of Hillary, major step forward, right, for all of us. Uh, as far as breaking the barriers. But now what we need is to figure out a candidate that we can, you know, totally love and rely on as our president. Up next, Joe Cannon. He'll be walking us through the, uh, the entire, you know, all things political in just one minute. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, with all things political and our Washington Insider, who better to bring on to to uh, to walk us through what's going on in the political world lately? Joe Cannon joins us. He was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that's fighting to uh, lower your costs here for fuel in the United States and improve the markets, was also a candidate for U.S. Senate and served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. And we like to have him around because he gives us insight as a Washington insider. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. And you're calling from D.C., huh? I'm in, yeah. Yep. You're in the big You're in the big city. Tell me what's going on. Now, um, I'm sure you just spent all night last night watching TV. Is that what you were doing? <laughs> Well, I did spend a lot of time last night watching TV. I think the, uh, you know, flipping back and forth, obviously, between all the channels and hearing their various perspectives. But I'll tell you one of the great ironies, one of those coincidences is, as I'm flipping through the channels, I see the old Alamo movie, The Alamo. Oh, you do? Yeah, with John Wayne and Richard Winmark and everybody. So I, so I thought, yeah, I'm just going to watch the end of this. So I watched the last <laughs> half an hour. 
of the utter, total, complete annihilation in 1836 <laughs> of... Uh, the folks at the Alamo, right. by those crafty, as as Donald Trump would put the put it, those crafty Mexicans. Mexicans, you know? yeah. Oh my yeah, heavens! It, it could have been could have been more ironic. Uh, no. Um, what do you What do you think? Them. What do you think? Uh, watching Hillary's, um, you know, Democratic nomination, a coronation. What do you think? Well, it was hardly a coronation. I mean, now she she won at fair and square. Right. She, had, she has all the delegate all the delegates she needs. She has uh, um, she won many millions of more votes than Bernie Sanders did. So uh, no, she she won at fair and square, and I think it's important to note the first time in the history of the United States a uh, woman was nominated by a major party. So that's a, a pretty Huge. good deal. Yeah. Is it... Having said, I do want to make a little footnote. What? Because Utah has made history in this very regard. Why? It turns out that in 1896, November, I think November 3rd of 1896, Utah elected the first woman state legislator in the history of America. Really? Yeah, Martha Hughes Cannon. Holy! Oh, yeah. Any relation? I'm sure. Uh, she's my yeah my <laughs> the wife of my the brother of my great grandfather. Yeah, so okay. Not particularly close, but uh, that's but, neat. Yeah. Though. Uh, so so that was the first time in history, and so it's a pretty big deal. But you know, you you all credit to Hillary. She ran a, a terrific campaign. Uh, Though even last night there were a lot of you know slightly above fifty, slightly below fifty. You know, I mean, it wasn't fifty-fifty. Right. If you won, uh, it was a couple of small exceptions, but but basically, it was her night. Was it? Was it as exciting? I mean, it's it it's a huge deal. But I to me, when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, why am I not more excited? Well, wow. <laughs> It I seemed flat. Lot, you know what I mean? A lot of people like that. I mean, I have lots of friends who are supporting Hillary, and lots of friends who are finding it tough to be Republicans right now. So, um, yeah, this is not exactly a clash of the titans. It's, a, it's a, you know, I've said on the program before. This is like two pitchers going into a World Series that have an earned run average <laughs> of twenty-five each. Right. Like, wow, you know, it's. It's going to be tough. A lot of people don't want to vote for Hillary. A lot of people don't want to vote for Trump. And so the question is, who's going to get out the most of the voters who don't want to vote for the other, or the least who don't want to vote for the other candidate? And Bernie, which is inexplicable, is saying he's carrying on. Yeah. He's going to fight on. And it's like, why? There's... There is no chance he can do anything. Well, doesn't here's what I'm thinking though. Doesn't Bernie have to stay in the fight, keep the fire warm until the FBI thing comes down? Until there's some settling of any of those charges. Because other I mean, I think there has to be he's he's the guy that he's been battling for months, 40 whatever 5% of the vote overall and there's still this looming potential charge that could hit. Yeah, but I don't think that's what's animating him. Is it, don't you? you? Know, that would be that would be a rational thing. That would be, <laughs> you know, that would be okay. I've got some plausible explanation. Yeah, that I'm staying in here. I think I, I, I didn't honestly. I didn't stay up till two a.m. to listen to the speech. So I've just seen the, the <laughs> clips of it 
this morning. But, but you know what? Uh, let me let me tell you what he says. Well, actually, let's play. We have uh, the clip here about Bernie talking about how he'll stay in. Next Tuesday, we continue the fight in the last primary in Washington, D.C. And then we take our fight for social, economic, racial, and environmental justice to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I am, I am pretty good in arithmetic, and I know that the fight in front of us is a very, very steep fight. But we will continue to fight for every vote and every delegate we can. He's going to continue to fight for every vote and every delegate he can get. And it, it seems like to me, Joe, he can't say he's staying in until Hillary's cleared because that would just be a fiasco. And so instead he just keeps – you know. and I do believe he really is trying to lead a movement except – Well, that's what I think. I mean it may well be that part of his calculation is that he – hold on as long as he can and see whether there's going to be an indictment. There's not going to be an indictment. Uh, she's going to be the nominee. Uh, he mentioned that he's pretty good at arithmetic, but I don't know if he's very good at arithmetic. <laughs> if you walk into a convention and the other team has more than enough votes to win. Walk, even walking no, in, right. Yeah, you you know, maybe you can turn it into a 1968 in Chicago, uh, you know, where it really did turn you know, kind of bloody and people screaming. But there it was a lot closer. Uh, this is uh, uncontestable yeah. that 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 uh, Secretary Clinton has more, more to what she needs. Forget about even the superdelegates. But anyway, he's, he's, he's got some calculation. Is... And Winston Churchill once said about, actually about Adolf Hitler, I'm not comparing those, those two, but Winston Churchill just said, never underestimate your enemy, because for whatever crazy reason, whatever insane reason, if a person stays in the fight or goes into a fight, they think they can win. Right, now, exactly. may be irrational to everybody else observing, but they think they can win. Yeah, he, he's got something going on. Is Do you think his people will follow uh, Hillary? I mean, I think a lot of his people might be frustrated that uh, they're, I don't know, maybe they feel like this is all... And it's not, except Bernie's uh, Bernie's argument is until she has the pledge delegates, not the other superdelegates, until she has the number of pledge delegates, this shouldn't even be a discussion Or in, and, and she doesn't have that yet. So they think this is all a little premature. But will will her peop, will his people follow now, just, you know, move over to Hillary now? Well, a lot of them will. Yeah, maybe most of them will. But the, I think uh, they're, they're – a couple of really crucial questions about what's going to happen in November. One of those questions is, uh, can Hillary hold the Obama base? Can mm. she hold all of the states that President Obama won in 2012? If she does that, she's an easy winner. But to do that, she has to uh, uh, consolidate that base. And, and Last night, I mean, everybody's angry on both sides in every election at all time. You want your guy to win. That's what you want. But I was pretty struck last night in a, in a bunch of the interviews on, on multiple channels of the Bernie supporters while they were waiting to hear him come out and talk. 
I it seemed beyond the normal anger mm-hmm. at, the, the, at at Clinton. It just seemed beyond that. Yeah. So will they will they vote? Is you know Trump thinks that maybe he'll get some of them. I doubt that, except a fraction of some sort of odd people right. might might jump over. I, I don't think anyone's going in Trump's direction, but a lot of people just might decide they're not they're going to stay home. If well, that happens, she she could be in trouble. She'd be in trouble because that's um, isn't it true that Bernie's Bernie's was a movement. His wasn't just a candidacy. It seems more like a movement, and it seems like a movement is harder to hand off than a candidacy. Right, and if you look at it, uh, Obama led a similar movement. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even even his was not quite as intense as Sanders, but it was intense enough, and it was that enthusiasm in a lot of those states that were pretty close. I mean, Virginia was pretty close. Mm-hmm. North Carolina actually went Republican in uh, 2012, but Florida was close. Virginia's close. Even Pennsylvania was, was you know, sort of 52-48, right. maybe 51-plus, 48. So you have a lot of close states, and and clearly voters of color made a huge difference in each of those cases. Mm-hmm. You know what so, is, as I, as I think about what you're saying, um, part of what I think is weird about this whole election is we keep trying to compare apples and apples, but it's really kind of apples and oranges and kumquats or whatever. It's, this isn't, you can't compare this year to any other year, and yet... And you can't compare any candidacy to any other candidacy. It's almost like Hillary – I mean all of them are taking things as if – they're acting as if this was a normal election process except you have a really motivated, uh, even frustrated, angry now um, Bernie Sanders group along with an angry Trump group along with even an angry you know, traditional Republican group along with the, everyone else, the independents that don't know where to go. Um, I want to talk more about it, Joe, and have you give us insight on what you think is going to happen with Trump now, too. And did Trump blow a five-week lead uh, in just the last couple days with some of his comments? We'll have more with Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider, giving us the inside we need. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's giving us the inside scoop, and we need it, folks. We'll be right back. The Matt Townsend Show on the phone with us, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. And uh, again, go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. It's an organization that he uh, heads up to help lower the fuel costs here in the United States, improve the markets um, as well, so that we we have more affordable fuel, for heaven's sakes. Uh, also, Joe is in Washington, D.C., and uh, even though he hates to be called it, uh, he's our Washington insider, walking us through all things political today, Joe. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Matt. What do you think of um, what do you think of good old uh, Donald Trump? Did he blow a six or a five week lead? Yeah. Well, uh, he, he had the I, head I start. 
I, I want to respond to that, but I want to go back to your apples and oranges. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty interesting because at one level, that's exactly right. You have sort of historic differences in each candidate on each side. But at the end of the day, 50 states in the District of Columbia are going to vote. Right. And, and so there is a historical pattern that you can look at. And, you, for example, uh, basically there are 11 swing states that um, Barack Obama took in 2008, and he took, he took all 11 in 2008, and he took all but one of them in, in 2012. So when you just look at yeah. that vote, the Electoral College, I mean, basically all Hillary Clinton needs to do is keep that same set of people and she wins 332 to 206 Done, huh? votes. Yeah. So, so at one level, it's very real and very the same. Yeah. At another level, though, um, yeah, it, it's cockeyed in a sense that, that no one can really predict. Historically, you just say so many people vote Republican and so many people vote Democrat. The Democrats clearly have an advantage in that in that situation. Um so how do you, what do you do? So uh, there are a couple of stunning facts that are, that are important. George Bush won in 2004 by taking 44% of the Hispanic vote. Wow, yeah. And that, that made the difference in a bunch of states, five in particular, uh, uh, Colorado, um, Arizona, Virginia, uh, Florida, all very, you know, critical votes. The, the Hispanic vote in all of those states has increased every year. Every year it increases. And right now, uh, Trump is polling about 20%. But Trump Trump has so, lots of Hispanic friends that work for him. Uh, yeah, I know that. Well, you know what? I actually thought about <laughs> Did he? You asked if he blew the lead. And yeah. I, I think what must have happened is somebody came into him and said, hey, Mr. Trump, we found that there's some Hispanics who are still willing to vote for you. <laughs> and that, so you can, we can't He's allow like, that. Get rid of can them. You, can, you, can you find uh-huh. uh, attacking Susanna Martinez, the yeah. Republican governor Female. of New Mexico? Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't a woman, wasn't enough, uh, Mr. Trump. So you really need to do something else. Can you go after that Mexican judge? Is handling your case that that I mean, that Indiana that Indiana uh, Mexican yeah. judge? No, it's so American. It, yeah, what he did. Uh, I'll come back to the effect of it, but what he did was wrong and stupid, as well as being venal at every way it could possibly be. Mm. It's just stupid to criticize a judge in general. Yeah, but look at the selfish, small, myopic. Uh, attitude that, that Trump is taking. He's elevating to a, here's a guy who could be president of the United States, sitting, if not on a lead, at least neck and neck, um, moving forward, and he decides um, to just blow it, to, to elevate a, a small personal issue to make it a national level, mm-hmm. and then keep at it. If it wasn't enough just to do it last week, and so on Monday of this week, he starts saying, uh, trying to get his uh, surrogates to come out and support him on a on a um, 
in a crazy matter, on a crazy small personal matter. It's just and that and that backfired. It's interesting too, though. What do you feel? How do you feel about the GOP kind of leadership's response? Paul Ryan saying it was racist, and I'll still support him. I mean, they're they're all just caught. It seems like you know between a rock and a hard place. Well, they're they're all stuck, and some of them actually just decided not to go for him. A lot of them, including the majority leader in the Senate, McConnell, and Paul Ryan, basically chastised the users and as a as a uh, as a way to say stop it, just mm-hmm. stop it, because what it, what it is it's selfish, but it's also stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. So maybe he glories in the fact that he's not a politician, and we can say we've had some so-called non-politician presidents. I don't know who they are. You know, Eisenhower was thought not to be a politician. I'm just finishing up a biography of reading a biography of him, and he was deeply political, deeply knowledgeable, deeply aware hmm. of how his actions affected the electoral process and the nomination process. And he was a master at it. Uh, Trump is just unhinged. Is he? Is he uh, targeting? Here, here's a theory I have. Because he's the master of the news cycle, right? So he'll he'll carry the news cycle every day, almost literally. Um, and he was getting beat up previous to the Mexican judge situation. He was getting beat up because of the judge's decision to release the records, and the documents were now being sorted through by the press, and they were they were destroying him. Is it possible that he's just you know creating a distraction? And he, he doesn't see a racial distraction and playing the race card as a bad thing. So it's just it's a it's a social or it's a media tool. Well, I think that's exactly what he was doing. I I, I think that's exactly right. But that doesn't no. It's it but it's horrible. It just, yeah, and yeah. it's bad for the country. It's bad for the GOP. It's bad for everyone. Yeah. So so everybody who's running. I mean, uh, I, uh, anyway. So the the question is, can Trump? Bounce back. I mean, the, the crazy thing is, he seems to do this all the mm-hmm. time. I mean, he, he starts his whole campaign by insulting John McCain, who is a genuine war hero. Uh, he, he, at every level, at every stage, he's done things which you think you can't recover from that. Not and, right. Uh, you know, so uh, who, who knows who what actually happened. But, but I do know this that. Uh, it's going to be really hard for him to win if if he just completely continues to alienate Hispanics, African Americans, and women. Now, I know he loves all of the above. <laughs> He's employed all of the above. Uh, well, he he somehow, actually did you did you hear his announcement that he was the first person to to break the glass ceiling for women in the construction industry. And so it wasn't even a female that broke the glass ceiling. It was Donald breaking the glass ceiling for a female. Well, <laughs> it's amazing. He, he it's does amazing. live in a world pop- populated by himself and me, myself, and I. Mm-hmm. And and then he has a few people around him who just say, great job, Donald. Great job. Yeah, that's great. Uh, they think it's a very rare person who says to him, that was really stupid. Right. Right. Um, well, and, and it seems like those people get fired. Um, in the end, uh, does it – I mean it, it, one thing I did kind of find interesting is that they're not afraid – people aren't afraid to talk against him anymore. 
Um, and it seems like more and more are starting to say this uh, Congressman Kirk – I don't know if he's a senator. Um, Sen- senator. Senator Kirk. Illinois, yeah. yeah, he said he's, he's, he's done. I mean I, to me, it seems like if we had a little bit more of that, um, it would at least – we'd at least be able to keep our, our principles aligned to our politics. Right. And I think we will see more of that. On the other hand, what may be happening is finally the education of Donald J. Trump in the Constitution, something that he has very passing, vague familiarity with. Uh, You can't run the country like a business. The founders didn't want it run like a business. They didn't want a strongman president. The whole system militates against that. What he's finding out is, is that, hey, you know, there are people in Congress and I can't make them do things. Right. And I think the I think the McConnell and the Ryan pushback is is letting him know, okay, maybe just maybe to win, I have to think about this thing a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I I, I I know just plenty of my friends, the Republican friends, who are just on the edge of saying, okay, maybe we could live with Trump. Mm-hmm. And then he comes and then out. This. And and makes a crassly, Im, impossible almost to describe in, in <laughs> modern America statement by uh, the guy who wants to be the uh, president from the party of Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. What, what are they saying behind the scenes? What are they saying? You know, in the in the cloak rooms and the coat closets, and I mean, what, are they just shaking their head like, what's happened? Well, they're uh, ashamed and embarrassed and afraid, uh, all of the above, because the guy is going to be the nominee. He could very likely preside over the Alamo uh, <laughs> of the Republican Party, right? Uh, you know, wiping everybody out. So giving, uh, giving for the next at least four years, uh, Democrat House. Well, I don't think there'll be a Democrat House. I just don't see that happening. But a Democrat Senate. Democrat president and and uh, and three more Ruth Bader Ginsburgs on the uh, on the United States Supreme Court hmm. uh, and if you're Republican that is a very very bleak it's a bad future yeah, bad and, and twenty so years you ask how you ask how people feel and a lot of people feel like they're orphans a, a lot of the kind of Republican conservatives feel like yeah something happened there was an earthquake in our party. And we we wake up and realize that the the intellectual core of the party isn't so important as people thought. It's it's yeah. a much more populist, uh, um, you know, deal. Yeah, orphans. That's a great, like little orphan Annie. Right. That's crazy. Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Your insight and uh, have fun in D.C. Okay. Thanks Go for watch a baseball that. game. I might, actually. There you go. I knew you would. Take care. That's Joe Cannon, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. See what they're doing to lower your fuel costs. We'll take a break. Be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. And uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, don't be discouraged. 
It's just a campaign. And sure, your orphans that no longer have a home or you don't know where to turn, but just, just keep tuning in. Something will happen, right? Nothing's more consistent than change. So let's hope there's some change somewhere. And who knows what it means? I mean, it could just be that the candidates, now that they're, you know, tied to each other, they all they stiffen their backs and get policy going and start talking policy. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe we don't have to just sit and keep battling silly craziness. Uh, you know, or we'll just have a knockdown drag out. So let's instead just change the subject. Go to one of our bad boys sections. Coaching the con, we call this. And uh, what I like to do is I'm an equal opportunity coach. I like to coach everybody, not just the good boys and the good girls, but the bad boys as well. And I've got to tell you the story (laughs) about uh, the police folks, sheriff's deputies say they have caught the gingerbread man. Yes, a Pittsburgh-area burglary suspect who referred to the nursery rhyme in taunting authorities that couldn't catch up with him. Police say 25-year-old Heath Emery Miller was trying to hide in the attic of of a home where police found him. Emery is wanted in several warrants from burglaries in Pittsburgh suburbs. And as the police closed in to arrest uh, Emery, he escaped into the woods after the Allegheny County deputies thought they had cornered him. And then on Facebook, he posted, they call me the gingerbread man. Catch me if you can. I'm running as fast as I can. It just so happens we happen to have some audio from the actual event and the arrest. Run, run, run like the gingerbread man. Run, run, run like Little the gingerbread play by play. man. Run, run, run like the gingerbread man. And say, catch me, catch me if you can. Whoa. That's violent. That was a violent ending. By the way, gingerbread everywhere, all over Allegheny County. <laughs> the kids loved it. Can you see the guy? <laughs> Catch me if you can. I'm the gingerbread man. Mommy, there's gingerbread all over the streets. <laughs> That'll te- teach Heath Emery Miller to mess around. And tease and taunt the cops. <laughs> Holy cow, that was a violent ending. Ben, is that really how it went down? I'm pretty sure he survived. Yeah. I no, 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 not from my sources. It's a waste of good gingerbread. Yeah, that's a great song, by the way. It is. Can I hear that again? Yeah. Run, run, run like the gingerbread man. Mm. Run, run, run like the gingerbread man. It is Best Friends Day. Run, run, run like the gingerbread man. And say, catch me, catch me if you can. Wow. Sorry, that's, it's like a package deal. So. It's kind of violent, though. Well, I mean, that's that's how news is. News isn't always pretty. That's true. Yeah, it's still, yeah that's actually a really good point. News isn't always pretty. Trigger warning, um, if you like gingerbread men. Oh, we should have done. See, the deal about the trigger warnings, we need to do a trigger warning before the trigger actually is pulled. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Again, um, if you love gingerbreads, uh, gingerbread men, if you love trying to catch a gingerbread person, I think we're supposed to call them gingerbread people. Yeah, I think that's more more correct. correct, And then um, if you like just the fun taunting song. Catch me if you can. 
just know that there will be a violent ending that for some people that, that don't like guns yeah uh, it's gonna it's gonna have an effect anyway we, we apologize just uh, on behalf of BYU broadcasting we apologize for the early termination of a gingerbread man's life don't tease I mean, the lesson don't tease the sheriff's department you can't outrun lead it's a great point you can't outrun lead or shot. <laughs> That's just so sad. Anyway, uh, see, folks, so life's not all bad. There are some good things happening uh, just in the baking department. We will take a break, folks. Come back a whole other hour for you. We're going to be talking about procrastination with one of my favorite interviews um, about uh, how to stop it, for heaven's sakes, why we do it. Truly the psychology behind procrastinating and how to avoid it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hour number two of the the festivities we call the show. We're here every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern, Bringing nothing but joy, joy and love and peace. Happy, by the way, best friends day. Life wouldn't be the same without best friends. I'd love to have one. It's up, the friends. That puts a damper on it. Yeah, that was kind of a downer. I. Uh, it's friends day. Best friends day. And everybody needs one. And if you don't have one, let this show be your friend. We'll hold your hand in the morning and just slowly walk you through the because day. Let we... the friendless man be your friend. That's a that's a great meme. Let the friendless man be your friend. Oh, so sad. The song just ended <laughs> yeah, like that. You can be friendless together. Uh, it is uh, Best Friends Day. It's also Upsy Daisy Day. Upsy Daisy. Upsy Daisy. That's what I always say when I lift Ben into his chair. It, it does weird me out every once in a while. But it weirds me out, too. So why do we do it? I don't know. It's kind of just a tradition. <laughs> when <laughs> did it start? I, when you started. Your first day. And I buckled you into your chair for the first time. We always have to buckle him. <laughs> we have to buckle him in because he falls out a lot. You're laughing at your own jokes. You know what? You know it's a funny joke when you're laughing at your own joke. Mm. Uh, Upsy Daisy Day. It's a great visual for all of us. Um, by the way, Ben has some great news, and he proved it to me. He passed the in- kitchen inspection for his ice cream company. Yes, I did. I didn't know you were starting an ice cream yeah. company. Yeah. It's called Upsy Daisy Ice Cream. <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, I, I named it after my experiences with Matt. Yep. Um, he thought that was just a cool phrase, but he passed the the he passed the uh, health department's chicken or kitchen check. Yeah, chicken they, they took a look at my tub. Yeah, um, you had just cleaned it up. Yeah, and it was good enough for them. Yep, Lysol fresh, beautiful. So uh, just know, folks, ice cream will be coming for everybody very very soon. I'm excited. Um, 
we wish he'd bring it sooner than later, but uh, he keeps yeah. d- delaying. So we will we'll talk more and give you more updates on the ice cream factory that's called Ben's Bathroom, and also um, that's that's. Trigger warning. That's that could offend people who actually warning, have started right. a business and in a bathroom. Yeah. If you or if you stored if if you stored an email server in a bathroom before, or if you've ever actually started a business in a bathroom, we we may offend you on the show. Trigger warning. Uh, also coming up, we're going to be uh, re-airing an, an interview I did with Tim Pitchell, one of my favorite guys on earth. He's an associate professor in the Department of Psychology. Um, at uh, the school and the school of linguistics in uh, Ontario, Canada, and why I love him because he's dealing with one of my biggest issues, which is procrastination, which has apparently doubled in the last thirty years. Can you believe that? It's doubled, and Tim Pitchell is going to explain why. So, if you are a procrastinator, if you know one, if you're married to one, if you're dating one, if your parents are one, uh, trigger alert. You're going to want them. You may, you may, they may learn something. So just stick with us on that. So we'll, if you don't want to learn something, yeah, don't listen. turn off this show. And Tim Pitchell will be up in a few moments. But first, let's get to uh, our headlines with Caitlin Thomas, Lehigh royalty, and uh, Caitlin. What's going on in the headlines around the country? Well, Hillary Clinton declared victory on Tuesday night in the Democratic presidential primary. She says we are all standing under the glass ceiling now of her historic milestone of a major party nominating a woman for president. She also congratulated her lone opponent, Bernie Sanders, who has been reluctant thus far to concede to Clinton. She says, I know that feeling well, Clinton said of Sanders' defeat in the primary, referring to her 2008 loss to then-Senator Barack Obama. Clinton also went after Trump for, quote, denigrating Muslims and immigrants and slammed his propensity to blame the press for his shortcomings. An Iowa state senator became the first elected Republican to leave the party over Donald Trump's presidential nomination. He says, I haven't supported Mr. Trump at any point along the way, but what I am calling his racist remarks and judicial jihad is the last straw. David Johnson told The Guardian, Trump had been under fire from his fellow Republicans over his continuous attacks level toward Judge Gonzalo Curiel, a Mexican-American judge presiding over fraud lawsuits against Trump University. Johnson also compared Trump's rise to that of Adolf Hitler, saying, quote, certainly the fascists took control of Germany under the same types of strategies. NBC's Today show anchor Savannah Guthrie will skip the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro because of concerns about the Zika virus. Guthrie, who is pregnant with her second child, made the announcement Tuesday morning on the morning show. She says, you're going to have to go to female beach volleyball without me, she joked to co-host Matt Lauer. Oh, boy. And despite hundreds of millions of dollars spent fighting obesity in America, the problem is only getting worse, specifically for women and teens, research says. The CDC published two new studies of obesity in adults and children on Tuesday. The results were not encouraging. MSNBC reports 38% of U.S. adults are now obese, and while the number of obese men held steady at 35%, the number of obese women rose above 40%. That means two out of every five women are considered dangerously overweight, a 5% increase over the past decade. The studies found 17% of Americans under the age of 19 are also obese, and while that number is leveling off for younger children, it continues to rise for teens. Currently, one out of every five American teenagers is obese. According to researchers, it's unclear why obesity continues to trend upward for women and teens. The CDC projects 42% of American adults will be obese by 2030. Wow, that's depressing. Yeah. But lastly, this one's a little more lighthearted. What? This just shows how uh, convincing Twitter 
can be and how influential yes. it can be. Preventing an outpouring of grief, we were sure would have rivaled those for Muhammad Ali and Prince. Reports of NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell's death Tuesday turned out to be a hoax. Yeah, he's not dead. Yep, quote... The, the tweet said, we regret to inform our fans that our commissioner, Roger Goodell, has passed away. He was 57, hashtag RIP. CBS New York quotes a since-deleted tweet posted by the NFL's Twitter account. The tweet was retweeted more than 2,000 times. CNBC took the bait reporting Goodell's death on air. But the NFL quickly announced his Twitter account had been hacked and Goodell was alive and well. That but is horrible. The question is, which one was a hoax? That's a great point. Which one is real? Is he? I mean, we have to see him to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say he's alive and well, and that it was a hack. I don't think they would lie. Wow, that's you know. Give us CNBC. But there's people that were like, "What, Roger?" Yeah, CNBC didn't His even buddies? fact check. They just took it for what it was on Twitter. This is why people are a little mad about the press, which was interesting because Hillary basically just took the side of the press. But the press are the people that she in, in her talk. She said he needs to quit blaming the press for everything, for you know, being a major problem. Right. And yet Hillary Clinton has always battled the press. So this is it's weird stuff that's going down here. It's very strange. And Roger Goodell is not dead. He no, is he's not. alive. He's alive and well. And moral of the story: anything you hear on this show, we're going to make sure we fact check before we. we this say. show, nothing but the truth. That would defeat the purpose I mean, if Matt we fact check the show. Your guide right. on the side. That's right. That's right. And I'll guide you on the side. You. He will never lead you astray. Ah, uh, thank you. Wait. <laughs> thank you. Let's remember what we just talked about. <laughs> what was it? I don't know what you mean by that, but um, gingerbread, gingerbread man. Yeah. What? Yeah. Don't make fun of the police. Okay. Yeah. Gingerbread man will be caught. Duh. Hey, uh, thank you, Caitlin. Well done. You're welcome. Go out and uh, shine your crown. Matt, I keep telling uh, she, you, it's She retired. got rid of her. She retired her crown. But it's now she's sitting, going. It's sitting in my room in this really pretty glass box. Rain with righteousness. Cool. I get to wear it next week. That's really Utah. Cool. Bring, wear it in here. I have before. I know. Wear it again. That was fun. Okay. I want to try it on. Yeah. Oh, okay. If it's possible. Hey, we got a great show. Um, Tim Pitchell will be joining us talking about procrastination. And I know you don't have problems procrastinating, but all those slow pokes around you, they do, don't they? They they procrastinated a lot. In fact, uh, you know what? We've got a story about a woman that procrastinated her own, per, you know, her own payment for her food. Check this out. A restaurant customer is accused of calling 911 and reporting an armed robbery to avoid paying a $20 bill. Are you kidding? It's a $20 bill. She now has a bond that was set for $30,000. So I think you pay like 10% of your bond, don't you? So her she had to get $3,000 to get out of jail to pay a $20 bill. Destiny Janae Watson, 21, of uh, Mount Healthy, Ohio, made a brief court appearance Thursday. She was arrested on charges of disrupting public service, making false alarms, and theft. Listen to this. 14 officers from three law enforcement agencies responded to Hamilton Avenue Restaurant when Watson allegedly called 911 to report a robber with a gun that was inside the business just after 1030. So the cops show up. Can you imagine that? Swarm the restaurant. And it was also, I guess, she could try to get away without paying the bill. 
She runs like a cartoon character. She's very flat-footed. This lady was flat-footed. And they caught her because she had ordered and consumed about $20 worth of food. She'd sat there since 7.20, so she had been there for three hours. And then when the police arrested her, they uh, checked her purse and found her cell phone and saw that she had just called the police at the time when the announcement was – or when they had – she had a rotary phone in her purse and uh, called the police on the rotary phone. Do we have the actual police answering the phone? I thought we did. Um, we did, but it was it was taken back by the police. It was it oh, they, they, used for the they took it away. Case, yeah, that's too bad. Um, police said they received consent to search her purse, and that's where they found the cell phone, which then allowed them to get the evidence to charge her with making a false call. Hmm. <sighs> Folks, if you don't have the money, you know you just dash. It's called a dine and dash. She was too lazy to even dash. What's happening to this world? This is why we're gaining weight. This is why we're getting obese. This is why she didn't even dash. She did a dine and dodge, which is just where you try to create a distraction. And then she forgot to leave. Do you give her points because of the distraction? No. That's, that's a little unique. You don't hear no. about that. Uh, on the crime scale of uh, intelligent criminals, I'd give her a two. All right. You know what I mean? But you'd give her at least some consideration for creativity. But you know what else? She also apparently um, – she, she had had $20 worth of chili at Gold Star Chili. That's probably why she didn't run out. Yeah, she wasn't running anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was not feeling well. Twenty dollars and thirty cents worth of food. <sighs> Poor girl. We're doing what we can to help folks. She's got she's got a two on the criminal scale. And a nine on the toxic stomach scale. How how high did the gingerbread man rank? The gingerbread man, because he was shot and blown into pieces, he was given a negative four. That's accurate. Negative four on the con scale. Anyway, what do you do, kids? What do you do? Uh, Terry, anything going on around the world we need to be paying attention to? Any any news that I possibly could have missed that doesn't involve Trump? How about food? Ooh, yeah. We just got over the obese news. Let's talk about food. McDonald's in Japan is using a hamburger-like McNugget thief to promote – a uh, contest offering a five-piece box of 18-carat gold nuggets. 18-carat gold chicken nuggets. Customers of the fast food eatery in Japan are being called on to follow uh, Kyoto Nuggets, that's the mm-hmm. character they've made, on Twitter and tweet about his exploits as he makes appearances at McDonald's locations around the country. Participants are entered into a lottery to win a five-piece box of McNuggets made out of 18-carat gold. Wow. Runners up can win five piece boxes of McNuggets made from chicken. So you win, you get five chunks of 18 karat gold. Wow. And if you come in second, you get chicken. I'm going for first place. Five. So that's some serious bling. The campaign is aimed at promoting uh, McDonald Japan's two new dipping sauces. This is kind of what I wanted to share with you creamy cheese. And fruit curry. Ew. <laughs> fruit curry? Fruit curry. I'm not sure what that is. I'm trying to imagine that. 
Yeah. And all I think is, ooh. So the promotion is five 18, 18 karat gold nuggets. I'll take that. I'll order that. What would you do with that? Just set it on your mantle? Cash them out. All right. Go sell the gold. And then I go buy some real nuggets. Just a drastic drop to second place when you just get chicken yeah. versus chunks of gold. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, there's a big drop from the uh, the gold nuggets to the chicken nuggets. Sad. Okay, well, again, we another way to get obese. That's why we're here, folks, helping you one day at a time. Also, um, just so you know, Pink's daughter got a Matt Damon-themed birthday cake. Don't know why that matters. <laughs> But I uh, just wanted you guys to know that. From the movie Martian. From the movie Martian. Pink's Martian. one of my... It's Matt uh, Damon in a spacesuit sitting space suit. on a red cake. Sitting on a this red cake. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Looks like Mars. Happy birthday. Happy fifth birthday, Willow. Pink's one of my favorite singers, though. I mean, how she you know, dresses is a little risque, but her music pretty good. We'll take a break. Come back. And when we come back, we're talking procrastination with Dr. Tim Pitchell. Stick with us, folks. This will uh, this is a big, uh, big learning experience for all of us when it comes to how to stop procrastinating. We'll be back. few minutes what's the worst thing if you hit the snooze three four five times do you sometimes feel like a professional procrastinator you just have a strange knack for putting things off sidestepping responsibility leaving it all until next week hmm well you're definitely not alone some researchers say that procrastination has more than doubled in the last 30 years So how do we get out of the rut of procrastination? Our guest today, Dr. Tim Pitchell, author of Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, joins us now from Ottawa, Canada, to give us some tips on beating the procrastination bug. Dr. Tim Pitchell, welcome to the show. Good morning, Matt. Good to have you back. This is um, one of my favorite subjects, sadly. It is mine, too. For 20 years, it's been my favorite subject. I know, but you don't procrastinate, do you? Actually, I kind of don't anymore. Wow. yeah, I know. It's, I it's envy not you. because it's any virtue on my part. It's because these strategies are sort of ingrained in me, and I can't. I have no wiggle room. Left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and plus everybody's now watching you, right? Well, but, there's some truth in that, especially my children. It's yeah. hard to live with doctor procrastination. You know what? I was looking at your Facebook page. You're a musher too. I am. I've been running dogs for as many years as I've been running, well, even longer than I have been uh, studying procrastination. That's amazing. I mean, I guess, too, that's that's an interesting little hobby because you can't procrastinate your dog on your dogs, right? I mean, they'll die. Well, that's it, and I have horses as well. If I told you what I, what I do between 5.30 in the morning and 8.30 in the morning, you'd think I was done for the day. <laughs> it's, it's pretty scheduled, but, you know, at the same time, it's what it's it's driven by my values, so... As much as some of these things are chores, like moving manure or picking up dog droppings, it's all part of things that matter to me. Hmm. So, I mean, and that's, I guess that's that's a great motivator, right? Your value system should be, I guess, your your consistent anchor. That's a really important point you've made. 
it doesn't mean I always feel motivated. Like, I really don't like this. It's really cold up here. Well, it's not oh, actually I bet. cold right now. It's uh, below freezing, at least, and we've got lots of snow on the ground, not as much as we typically do. So for me to pick up horse droppings around the barn, and I try to keep that area clean, I have to scrape them first with a shovel and then pick them up with a fork. I do not enjoy it. Uh. There's no way I feel motivated ever. And so I have to use all the strategies that I've learned from my research and write about to be able to do that. And, of course, once I do it, it, it really primes the pump for feeling good. But don't imagine for a minute that I walk around in a hyper state of motivation. I don't. And I think that's kind of one of the myths that we all walk around with is that I have to feel like it. That's why I love the song you started with. Yeah. I don't feel like I don't want to. Yeah, that's the whole story. I mean, we could stop the interview right now. Yeah, we're done. That's the story of procrastination. We have that six-year-old in us that says, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't it. feel like it. Yeah. But it's true. And it. so what? You don't, you don't feel like picking up the droppings, and you do it because you have a higher purpose, I guess. Well, maybe. I think that I also just have these little strategies by saying, well, okay, I do want the droppings picked up. If I didn't have that commitment to it, I could let them pile up. But then there are costs to that, like the springtime would be a mess. And so sooner or later, you pay the price. So I do right. know that. But so I'm walking out to the barn, and I could say to myself, oh, I, I won't pick them up today. I'll pick them up tomorrow. I'll feel more like a tomorrow. That's just a common saying. And I'm never going to feel like it. I never feel like picking up those droppings. So it's always the question of, okay, if I was going to pick up the droppings, what would I have to do right now? Well, on my way into the paddock, I need to grab that wheelbarrow. Oh, I can do that. I can grab the wheelbarrow. Hmm. You see, I'm, I'm just taking baby steps towards it. So then I bring the wheelbarrow into the paddock and I bring some sweet feet out for the horses and I walk some hay over the pasture. And I like that. I have to say, I like the walk over to the pasture. And then I come back, and the horses are heading over to the pasture, and there's the wheelbarrow looking at me. Yeah. Right? So I think, okay, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just do a little bit around the back. I, I always just try to set the bar low, yeah. because otherwise it's overwhelming if I think I've got to pick it all up. No, just get started. And that's my number one go-to. I always say, if I was going to do this, what would I do? Okay, I can do that. I'll just get started. And then the magic happens. And it's truly magical when you go from living in your head with all those negative emotions to just doing a little bit. It's, I guess that's almost inertia, right? You just got to get going. Yeah, there's so much truth in that, but so much of it is just in our heads. Yeah. We're, you know, we play these terrible games. I, early, early on in my research in this, and this is back in the 90s, my students and I, before smartphones were even on campuses, we put pagers on all these students and we paged them throughout the day. And certainly early in the week when they had something to do and they weren't doing it, they'd say, oh, I work better under pressure or I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. And the great thing about following up through the week, it was that finally we get to a point where they're actually doing what they said they were supposed to do. And now none of them were saying, well, I'm so glad I waited till the last minute because I worked better right. under pressure. That didn't happen. Instead, they said, like, this isn't as bad as I thought. In fact, what we saw was a statistically significant difference in their ratings of difficulty and stress. Now, it didn't mean it wasn't a little stressful and it wasn't difficult, just it wasn't the monster they created at the beginning of the week that sort of paralyzed them. And so that's what happens when we just get started. We realize this isn't as bad as I thought. And the other thing that other researchers have shown us is that progress on a goal fuels our well-being. It's an upward spiral. Oh, really? So just getting started starts to fuel that magic thing. And that's why that notion of priming a pump is so appropriate. Just a little bit of water in the pump is necessary to get the pump to have some pull. Yeah. And I didn't didn't realize, though, that it really, I mean, just any progress on it tends to, I guess, create a sense of maybe well-being. Again, I mean, you feel better. 
Absolutely, and that's why, you know, a, a very big task. You're not necessarily going to finish it today, but you find a way into it. Uh, I, I really don't like writing letters of reference. It's my common example because they're high stakes for the students I'm writing for or for employees, and they're very difficult for me because I have to find the right words and I have mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm writing to the right audience. And so it's something for me to I, I'll just get this negative feeling about, oh, I've got to write that letter of reference. And I'll say, okay, I'm not going to write that letter of reference, but if I was going to, what would I do first? Well, I have to open up the email from the student and see who it's for. Oh, open up the email and read that. I could do that. And you see where that's going. Yeah, now, yeah. now I'm actually on task, even though I didn't say I was going to do it. So I read it and I say, okay, now if I was going to write this letter, but I don't really want to, what would be the next step? Well, I just have to open a blank, blank piece of letterhead and copy and paste that address for the university over there. Oh, I could do that. I can do that. Yeah, and, and you know what? That's so true. Uh, David Allen, who's written the wonderful books amongst many, you know, Getting Things Done, he captures it so well when he says, what's the next action? Because we don't do projects, we do actions. Right. So I always ask myself, what's the next action? And that's, you know, that's the bottom line for us. And then what that does, though, is it takes me out of all that rumination, all those right. negative thoughts I'm having. We just get, we get stewing in our own juices, and of course we want to escape that, and we escape it by putting it off. Mm. And that's where procrastination has a lot in common with, say, gambling or overeating. One day you'll realize... You know, I'm not eating the second row of cookies because I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm eating these because there's something else going on here. And it's the same with procrastination. The something else that's going on there is I'm trying to find a way to cope with all these negative feelings. Well, one of the ways to cope with all those negative feelings is just let them go. Like they're, they're just there and they're alive and well in us and we're not going to... It's like stopping to think, trying to stop to thinking about a white ele- elephant. You don't do that. You can't repress it. You just got to l- look past it, let it go, and go on in, in spite of that. And you can do that by just asking yourself the question like, and getting into an action. Yes. Just get doing something. I mean, the, I mean, the minute you're doing an action, your brain probably starts thinking different thoughts to manage the action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, and you stop thinking. Sometimes that's the most important. Oh, yeah, that's true, huh? Right. You're, you're into doing and not thinking. So a lot of us will put off doing health behaviors. Like, so you've bought a new exercise machine of some sort, whether it be in a, a stationary bicycle or an elliptical trainer, and there it sits. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money on it, and it's starting to collect dust. And it's because you look at it and go, oh, I don't have the energy. I don't feel like it. As if you're supposed to feel like right. it. This whole notion of... And, and the thing is, no, I'm just going to go stand. The elliptical. <laughs> I'm just going to stand there, and I'm going to start moving my legs. Just set the threshold low. Now, the, the irrational thing, the crazy thing about people is that, like, 10 minutes later, I think I'm an Olympic athlete. Right? Yeah, that's right. I am incredible. <laughs> I'm into it. And, and that's, but that's the great thing. I mean, the magic happens when you lower the threshold and you say, no, I just have to get started here. I don't have to think about sweating or working out till I throw up, or I don't have to think about having to do five workouts this week. Just right now, I'm just going to stand on the machine and move my legs. And <laughs> so much of our lives, we need that. And, you know, there's an old Buddhist story of the monk who's seeking enlightenment, the novice, and he goes to the master and he says, Master, I've been doing all the meditation, but what do I need to do to achieve nirvana, to achieve my enlightenment? And he looks at him kind of incredulously and says, have you finished eating your rice? And he said, yes, then, then wash your bowl. <laughs> and, and what I love about that is that it kind of goes right back to the mundane of what David Allen's saying, is that what's the next action? Yeah. And, and when you put those two together, the, the light bulb really goes on, is that, and that really gets to life, isn't it? Like, yeah. 
we're, we're temporarily, the only thing that you and I are going to run out of is time. The only non-renewable resource we have in our lives are t- is time. And then what's the next thing I have to do? Like, that, that, that's, that's the enlightenment. That's the wisdom. That's, this is your life, man. What is it the next thing in front of you? And do it and don't make more of it than that. And oh. I, I, find that, I find that so um, uplifting at one level and freeing. You yeah, know, freeing. It really is freeing. You know, when I come in from doing my chores, it, there's a sense of wholeness that that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Isn't that... And and again, it's such – I love simplicity on the far side of complexity. Like I yeah. love it when you finally get to that thing. It really is – it's just what will you do now? What's the next act? What's – and oh, oh, and yeah. we, we, could, we a lot of us get consumed in action that isn't meaningful too, right? So you're not, you're not saying you're, – you're saying get to the next meaningful act. Yes. Or, and actually, or, or necessary act. Necessary act, or even just any act related to the thing that I have to do. Yeah, that, yeah, that matters to you. Yeah. Yeah, because you. Yeah. But I, like, don't like, do don't that. go get into. I don't know. Don't go. Just keep watching another segment of Netflix. Oh, well, there's a the bottomless pit for you. In fact, talk about you, that. Why? Why is it the last thirty years that we're falling more into procrastination? I'm assuming it's Netflix. We've got to blame well, someone. It's all of our technology, our yeah. handheld devices. You know. Uh, when we used to get bored, we'd attend, or attend to something, and then it would get boring too. But mm-hmm. you know, there, there's nothing like the internet. To it's a bottomless pit of <laughs> one click to another, and you start you start with really saying, "Well, okay, I'm going to work on this, but it'll only take me a minute to check my email." Now the problem with that is that a minute later we face the same decision. And then three hours later, we wonder why it is we're watching cat videos again. Right? <laughs> and and the, the reason was is that we never really made the decision to leave our work. We said, it'll only take me a minute to update my Facebook status. That's true. Or to send out one tweet. But then you say, it'll only take me a minute to see what so-and-so has done. Oh, it'll only take me a minute to check that link that so-and-so has sent. Mm-hmm. And now you don't even know where you are. You're, the other thing about the Internet is that it has no spatial uh, locators for you. You know, you, you just get lost in it. So having these devices is really difficult for us. And to the point now, we know we're killing each other on the roads because we think we're multitasking. We can't put the thing down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, we are um, endangering our attention that way. And uh, the bad news is we do have to shut it off. Right? The first thing we need to do often to get other things done is to reduce the distractions. And that's such an unpalatable thing to say to people. Oh, totally. No, yeah. Yeah, and I, it's I'm hard. I'm reaching for my phone before I realize I'm reaching for my phone. No, exactly. Yeah, and and so. it's and it's so it's just so habitual. Like it's we think once we have a free space, grab the phone. Yes. Grab or even phone. if we don't have a free space. Yeah, that's true. Make it. We, we, we've we've it um it gives us an immediate pleasurable response. I liked what you said a few minutes ago, Matt, about how uh, something so complex can uh, be so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we could talk about procrastination from a neuroscientific perspective. Although the neuroscience is far from complete, we could start talking about how the limbic system of the brain is the oldest evolutionary part, and it's all about feeling, and we have these quick feelings, and we have this new evolutionary part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, and that's the planful organizational part. And just this week in science, actually, there's a journal article showing that there might be a, a gene that's being expressed that's changing the pruning of the synapses in the prefrontal cortex that might lead to schizophrenia. There's there's this really complex story about what makes us human, but the way you and I experience it is 
I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. And it really does go like back it. to the three-year-old or the four-year-old. It absolutely does. And in my house, that's why it's hard to be the son or daughter of Dr. Procrastination. <laughs> I looked at my son and, or my daughter and said, I didn't ask you how you felt or that's what right. you want to do. You know, my dad said that, and he wasn't even a Ph.D., <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think we all—it's just—it's that wisdom. That's why I think you resonated to that. Like I like it when it gets down to simple truth. It's so true. You how you, what you feel like. It's time to pick up. The That's poop. right. Just get moving. Yeah, try to go. To, time to shovel out the the barn. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Tim Pitchell. Tim, let's take a break. Come back. I want you to get into your book, um, solving the procrastination puzzle. Keep sure. giving us some tools for how we we kind of chunk it down and and make life. You know, get over the feeling of it all and get into let's just do what we need to do. Um, it's interesting. It sounds almost antithetical to a healthy life, but it really is about getting moving and getting stuff um, that matters to us accomplished. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Don't wake me. I plan on sleeping in. Now, that's the deal. If you're going to plan it, then you're just delivering on your plan of sleeping in. But if you pretend like you're going to get up and go feed the horses, like Dr. Tim Pitchell's teaching us, then guess what? You're probably procrastinating if you're now going to plan on sleeping in. Joining us is Dr. Tim Pitchell, and um, he's the author of the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. He joins us now from a chilly, frigid Ottawa, Canada. Dr. Tim, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks very much, Matt. I really uh, I love your expertise in this. And I love, I mean, you're making it simple and it's human nature. And um, you started the show uh, last break about the fact that it's a value. If, if we have a value, you use your value system, you said, to make these hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And... So one of the things I keep, I guess, running into with this idea of procrastinating is it's it's almost – I don't know what you call it, but it seems like some of us are procrastinating doing important things and um, we're actually not being – we're not even acting. We're not being busy um, in life and some of us are actually seeming busy and active but we're still not doing important things. Yeah, we can't admit to ourselves that we're not doing the important things. I remember last year I was walking across campus and a colleague from another department came up to me around 5 p.m. I was just heading to the parking lot and he said, Tim, you've got to tell me what's wrong with me. I've been busy all day doing stuff, but there's one thing that's, that's due today and I still haven't done it and I'll be up till midnight now. Why did I do that to myself? Yeah. And so here's a very accomplished person and yet he fell prey to that. I'll be busy, but he, he was still doing the avoidance. And that's because he wouldn't break the ice on just getting started on that really important task. He was dodging it emotionally. So that's all. We're always going to have to come back to that in this conversation that procrastination is an emotion focused coping strategy. It's not about time management, it's about getting past our reluctance, our, re- our own internal resistance to it. Hmm. Yeah, so we can appear really busy, but that busyness can be just a big scam to keep us away from the task we're really supposed to be doing. It's. Uh, an emotion-focused coping strategy. Yeah. And so your problem isn't the task. Your problem is the barrier of your aversion yeah. 
to the task. Yeah, your, your thoughts about, feelings about that task. That, and th- those are often non-conscious, like you're having these, this emotional response that happens really quickly. Even just the thought of the task makes you cringe. Yeah. I, I've, I've met people from all walks of life having done this for so long, whether it be lawyers or judges or salespeople, but salespeople in particular, you know, might be the cold call. Yeah, make the call, really. make the call. And, and they'll say, yeah, I'm just avoiding that. And I'll say, okay, so how are we going to set it up so you get started? And, and you know, uh, earlier on we talked about the fact that things can be really complex, but we keep them simple. Uh, behind a lot of this is science and theory, so we can talk about event segmentation theory, where we cognitively have lots of scripts about how things unfold, like even about how, what we do when we have a shower, what we do when right. we brush our teeth. And so for a long time I wasn't uh, flossing my teeth. I'd brush my teeth all the time, and I had my bedtime routine for brushing my teeth, but I couldn't seem to stick flossing in there. And the same sorts of principles of how I got to start flossing my teeth can then be applied to someone making a cold call. And so I set myself up to floss my teeth by making this pre-commitment, something called an implementation intention, because you wanted to talk about strategies. Yeah. So this implementation intention, this pre-commitment is that it's a simple thing. It's a sentence we can all encode right now, when then or if then. So when I pull out my toothpaste, because I always did that, that was a habit, then I will put the floss on the counter. Mm. When I put down my toothbrush, then I will pick up the floss. You know, yeah. it sounds so silly and simple, but it was life-changing. But do you write a script like that? I mean, do you really like think through your morning routine and say, when I hang my towel up, then I will whatever? Well, that's interesting, you know, and this is where it gets complex in the research because one of the best papers on event segmentation theory talked about the shower script and that sometimes it's not best to insert things like toothbrushing into your shower script. It just doesn't fit. They don't yeah. jive. It's, it's, yeah. and so it might not even be hygiene, hygienic. It might be that's unhealthy. Right. It gets nuanced. Yeah. But you, you could, and one of the reasons for that, again, the, the science shows is that people with better prospective memories, people who can remember things better, don't need signs. But some of us need to put a little sticky mm-hmm. note on My daughter, for example, I really wanted her to learn to type because she struggles with um, language. So she's a really bright kid, but language, she don't get along. It's not her forte, yeah. So I'm... I'm I'm jacking up the, the rewards, and she, I know she wants a, an iPhone. She hasn't ever had an iDevice. said, I'm happy to buy you one, but you have to be able to touch type. Oh, Dad, I can't do it. I'll fail, because she feels that way yeah. all the time. I, I said, if you just come home every day from school in 20 minutes, do this program, in a couple months you'll be touch typing. But I won't even remember this is the issue. So I said, and what she's going to face today, it's funny you raise this today, when she comes home, she's going to see a sign on the closet door, she's <laughs> going to see a sign in the kitchen that says, Laurel, go do your 20 minutes. Yeah. And so some of us do need that sticky note. But I want to go back to the issue both of the salesman and the cold calls and me flossing my teeth. So I'm picking up, now I'm putting down my toothbrush and I've made this pre-commitment. I'm picking up the floss, but don't think for a minute I want to. I, I've got a million excuses. I don't feel like it right. tonight. I'll just skip tonight. You know, it, I'll feel more like it tomorrow. Like, these habits are hard. Like, we have this, uh, this uh, immediate visceral response to, I don't want to do it. It took me months, and now I can't imagine not going to bed without flossing my teeth. You know, finally, mm. it's become the prepotent response. So anybody that's struggling with some part of their lives, that it may be that aversive cold call, you have to set it up around some routine you already have going for you. And then, and then stick it in there. Yeah. You're just picking up the phone and dialing the, the one number. 
So, yeah, these are the tricks that uh, Peter Gallwitzer from New York University has done an extensive amount of work on this notion of implementation intention. Yeah. Shown in numerous studies that just making this pre-commitment of when then, putting the stimulus for action out in the environment is a game changer too. If, it's, it's, if you're committed. Well, yeah. And, and, but it also, what's I think fascinating about this is the, you, it's a, this is a process of becoming a stronger human. You're, every one of these tasks, it's just flossing your teeth for heaven's sakes, mm-hmm. but you've made a commitment and and you've actually and you're keeping it and now and you've a bit i guess habituated it you've it's it's now you yeah and that and isn't that true that, that's up the existentialists argue that we are what we do yeah you know we're always facing these choices am i going to be the guy who watches 10 more episodes on netflix or am i the guy that's just going to go and do yoga for 20 minutes or go for the run or whatever it is that we think the that we're striving for in our lives you know? hmm. and we can choose to sit still, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny that when you said, you know, choosing to stay in bed, there's many mornings when choosing to stay in bed is the right thing. Right. We were up, up late last night uh, for work or because your kids were sick. Well, the sleeping in makes perfect sense. It's when you don't get out of bed when the alarm's going off and that your intention was to get up that now what's going on here? Why are you becoming your own worst enemy? This... I, I heard just this week on the radio there's a new alarm clock that – you can't shut it off until you stand on the carpet. And you have to stand <laughs> on the carpet for three seconds. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, it works, I guess. I guess so. But, you know, the old version of that was the same notion of the pre-commitment of you realize you keep hitting the snooze button, so you put the alarm across the room. Right, right, exactly. So there isn't a snooze button within reach. Now, again, that pre-commitment requires some action, and then you get uh, the secondary procrastination. You know, yeah. The second-order procrastination is I procrastinate putting the clock across the room. So we can continue to be our own worst enemy even when we know these things. Oh, do you, um, in a weird way too, it seems like this parallels other uh, theory, like, about, even about anxiety. Um, a lot of us uh, that have anxiety, we, the feeling, we think the feeling matters hmm. and we believe the feeling more than the logic behind it or what else we know. So we end up talking about everything like our teachers that are stupid that don't understand us and they always give us too much homework instead of getting down to the root cause of the anxiety. Yeah, and then and when we realize that anxiety, we poke at that a little bit, and that's what we can do in a good therapeutic relationship. And I'd always encourage people to consider that if you're bothered by your anxiety or some of your irrational fears, and certainly procrastination can result from fear of failure that's quite irrational, is you have to poke at some of those and say, what would be the worst thing if? And then you realize that it's, you're making it up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not real. And that's really the back end of the power of getting started. That's what we learned in that research earlier, that students say, gee, when I got started on this, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Right. And that's often the case. We make these things bigger in our own minds. But some of us, that's where we need to start, because we spend a lot of time ruminating and making these very negative places for ourselves. And so there's a therapy called uh, acceptance commitment therapists who work very much on that, about how to accept the negative emotions and pain in your life, but still move forward, even though, yeah, that's alive and well in your brain. It's not going away, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you, that's kind of ingrained there now. And if you think you're going to get rid of it in a couple of days, it's not going to happen. But can you learn to live with it and, and move past it? Absolutely. Is, is, where does willpower play into this? 
And well, and is that? I mean, I know there's some interesting research on willpower, but mm-hmm. what? What? I mean, that's really all you're saying when you're going to go make a pre-commitment. It's I guess you're engaging will to some extent, but then you got to watch about how often you draw on willpower because the best research we have by Roy Baumeister and Diane Tice and others out of Florida State and all their colleagues is that it's a bit of a limited resource. We can exhaust it pretty quickly. And so when you're going to use it, use it strategically. That kind of comes back to Mark Twain's famous statement, if your job is to eat a frog, then eat it first thing in the morning. It's going to get harder. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and even, uh, so Mark Twain on the one hand, and we got Viktor Frankl, the mm. famous Viennese psychiatrist on the other, who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. He said the same thing, that, you know, I've learned to do the difficult things first and get them out of the way. So th- that came from, in life, learning that, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have the energy at the end of the day. I'm, I'm going to be worn out. And psychologically, we call that no more willpower, but we just feel it as a lack of energy. Mm. So we do have to use it. Willpower, you asked the question of how does it come in? Well, we have some. It's a limited resource. We have to use it strategically um, to go back to Mark Twain's uh, quote, if you know, if you have a job is to eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If your job is two frogs, eat the biggest one first. <laughs> and I think most of us feel that way about our lives sometimes. Okay, right. On my desk are a whole bunch of frogs. Yeah. <laughs> now I better start with the biggest one because once I got that one down, the rest are going to seem easy. That's so true. What, what, is, what of this is about personality? Well, like, I mean, some people, I just know, I have people in my life that they eat dirt just because it's good for them. And I, I sit there and I'm a little more free flow. That's the story I tell. But um, in the end, is, is, is some of this just personality? Some people just are always going to be on time. Or is it, is it changeable, I guess? Well, personality is kind of what's bred in the bone. And so it's changeable to a point. We can act out of character. But for those of us who are not very conscientious, that means we're not very dutiful by nature or organized. And this is a major personality trait that 50% is heritable. Like hmm. genetics show us that, yep, a lot of this comes from mom and dad. It's, it's not easy to change. It's, it's our go-to sort of way of being in the world. We have to lay strategies on top of it. And we can act out of character, but that takes a bit of willpower in itself. So absolutely, some of us are set up to fail, in terms of if I'm very anxious and neurotic, and that, I mean that in a personality sense, yeah. it doesn't mean the, the movie sense of neurotic, but that you're prone to depression and worry. If you're not very conscientious and you're impulsive, and then maybe you've internalized a lot of negative expectations from other people, well, there's just the perfect storm yeah. for the procrastinator. So absolutely, many of us are set up to have some inherent weaknesses, but think of any aspect of your life. So you're in a certain sport. You don't have every attribute that necessarily that makes you the best candidate for that sport. You work around it. So, yeah, there's, there's things there that um, can work against us and other things that can work in our favor. And that's when we think, okay, I'm going to lean on this strategically. Like I'm going to leverage that part of my life because I know this part of my life is a relative weakness. And so for some people, it would be, gee, if I want to stop procrastinating or, or do less of it, I've got to become more organized. For another right. person, it wouldn't be organization at all. It would, I, I have to learn to count to 10 because I'm so impulsive. Like, as soon as something comes up, I'm gone. And <laughs> so the, the implementation intention becomes, if someone asks me out tonight, if or when, when they ask me out, then I'm going to say, I'll tell you in 10 minutes. 
because mm. now I'm learning to harness that strategy of implementation intentions around a predisposition to be impulsive. So you can still lay on these strategies, but you're right, Matt. Some of us are prone to procrastinate. And again, but that also can become our great story, <laughs> right? It can, or our great excuse. A great excuse is a better word for it, isn't it? No, it's yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, Dr. Tim, for, oh, read, go ahead. No, go talk about your blog. Yeah, I read a blog for Psychology Today, and, and two posts ago I wrote about this notion of uh, I am so lazy. What does it mean to say that? And sometimes that can just be a terrible excuse. You just... You're saying that I am this, so therefore I'm excused from all the rest of the things. And it's an inauthentic way of being in the world, is yeah. what I argue. So if those of you who want to talk about personality as being an excuse, you might want to look at that. Uh, yeah, that's a great article. And, and again, your blog, um, your, your website, what's the best way to get to Procrastination Research Group? Well, just procrastination.ca. So you talked about me being up here in the Great White North. Yeah. So if you just remember, .ca, .ca not .com procrastination.ca. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Timothy A. Pitchell, go check out that website. Um, it really, you're, you're a gem, Tim. And every time I talk to you, I feel like I've got hope and I'm jacked up. That's good. But it's, so now, now that's the and. Now I got to go do something. Go start acting. Or you always do, Matt. It's always a dance. It is so a dance, I, isn't I enjoy it? talking with you very much, too. Thanks, Tim. We'll have you back again. And uh, go look him up, too, on Psychology Today. He's... He's everywhere, folks. Oh, and the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Those are the solutions, those tips that he's been giving us. They're in those books as well and are in that book as well. And on his blogs, he's, he's very abundant in giving the answers and the tools that people need. We're going to take a break, folks. If, uh, if you feel like you, you, you got to get doing something, start thinking about it. What, uh, what, what could you do? Think of the hard thing you got to get done today. If you were going to do that one hard thing, how would you get started? Just go just go do that. Go do that. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. You know, uh, the, the cool thing about learning, which is really what the show is about, is to give you the tools to learn what's going on in life. You don't have to do everything Tim is talking about, but to do one thing, just to do anything that uh, you've learned or are learning can help. And again, that's why we're here, to give you the information Sometimes just silly, stupid information, but sometimes really deep, profound, important things. Imagine if you could procrastinate less and just get done some more important things in your life. Just get one or two things more done a day that value um, that you value that are aligned to what your beliefs are. All of a sudden, you you take your life back, and a ten percent improvement over time can go a really long way, right? A 20% improvement over time can go a long way. And so that's the goal. Please take take anything you've learned and and take it take it to heart. Take it into your next uh into your life. By the way, next hour we're going to also be talking about uh kind of a time management issue of saying no. At some point, and this is something we haven't wanted Ben to learn. Cuz I'm, I'm excited for this. It took us years to get 
to to get you to not say no because you used to say no to everything. Yeah, but now we're saying it's a good thing. Well, it's a good thing for some people. Uh, in your case, you should still always, always say yes, always. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, the other people need to learn to say no and learn to say it kind of quickly, right? A quick no. Nope. And maybe a slower, yeah, let's do that. Because every yes you, you give means you're saying no to something else, right? So uh, we'll be talking about that in a few moments, uh, actually next hour, plus uh, be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. All of that ahead, up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Hey, by the way, happy uh, upsy-daisy day. Every morning, there's a neat routine that Ben and I do. When Ben gets to the office, uh, he just stands by his... We have really tall chairs here in the studio. And he just stands by the chair and he holds his arms out. And then I just lift him up. And when I lift him up, I always say, upsy-daisy, and I put him in his chair. It's gotten harder as I've gone past puberty and yeah. grown. Well, now that you're 35. Well, it's making it strange. It's a weird picture because Ben, I think, is actually taller than you. Yeah, I'm I'm quite a bit taller than him now, and so who's who's this girl talking in here? Where did she <laughs> yeah, come wait. from? I mean, wait, I just heard a female voice. I'm the queen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Anywho, um, so happy Upsy Daisy Day. Also, happy Best Friends Day. This is the day that you grab your friend, you give him a big hug, and you say, "Friend, Upsy Daisy, Upsy Daisy," and you lift him into their chair. And if that doesn't uh, make the friendship closer, I don't know what will. Anyway, uh, happy Upsy-Daisy Day. Happy Best Friends Day. That's why we do the show, folks, to give you the information you need. we got a great one lined up for you this hour. By the way, three great hours of uh, programming here at BYU Broadcasting, uh, if I do say so myself. Three incredible, riveting hours of Broadcasting Coming up in a minute, we're going to be talking about why it is so hard to say no. So if you're out there and you're somebody that all the time you think yes, but you end up saying – or you think no, but you say yes, hey, do you want to come over for dinner Thursday night? (sighs) Sure. Sure we do. Yeah. It's exactly what we want to do. If that's going on in your life, stick with us. Diane Barth is going to walk us through why it's so hard to say no and how to get better at it. We'll be getting into that. Also, be visiting the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out how they are, if they're still alive, if they're doing well. And we will also, of course, be giving you the latest and greatest news and information, including coming up a story about a guy that the government says is dead. But he's not dead. He's not dead. So we'll be, we'll be covering that. Nothing worse than, you know, being told you're dead when you're alive. You know. Happened multiple times. Every day of my life. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? 
Well, Matt, on Tuesday, Donald Trump responded to critics on both the left and right who have called his comments about Mexican-American Judge Gonzalo Curiel, quote, racist. In a statement, Trump said, It is unfortunate that my comments have been misconstrued as a categorical attack against people of Mexican heritage, adding that he is, quote, friends with and employs thousands of people of Mexican and Hispanic descent. However, Trump maintained that he is justified in questioning if Curiel, who is presiding over a fraud case concerning Trump University, can give him a fair trial. Illinois Senator Mark Kirk has announced that he cannot and will not support Donald Trump for president, according to a statement released Tuesday. Kirk, who said last month he would support Donald Trump if he was the Republican nominee, decided to retract his endorsement of the mogul due in part to his comments regarding Mexican-American Judge Gonzalo Curiel. So we're back there again. Kirk is one of the most vulnerable GOP senators this election cycle, and he is facing a Democratic challenger and Representative Tammy Duckworth, who has made a concerted effort to link Kirk to Trump. Sweet. At least five bicyclists were killed on Tuesday when they were hit by a car in Kalamazoo, Michigan. The driver of the car hit at least nine bicyclists in total and is in custody. The vehicle hit all of them from behind. Also, two National Guard F-16 fighter jets crashed above a military operating area in Jefferson County, Georgia at about 9 p.m. on Tuesday night. Both pilots, the only people aboard the aircraft, were able to safely eject from their planes and are recovering at a local hospital. The jets were performing routine operations at the time of the collision and the Air Force will be investigating the incident. And lastly, this what? is a good one. What? This is a, st- this is a story about motherly instincts, y'all. Police in Florida are praising a woman whose, quote, motherly instinct may have saved her daughter's life. Surveillance video from a Dollar General store in Hernando on Tuesday shows a man police are identifying as 30-year-old Craig Bonello pushing a cart full of items. He then wanders into an aisle and grabs a 13-year-old girl who was shopping with her mother, dragging the teen by her arm along the floor toward the exit. The girl's mother catches up and eventually succeeds in freeing her daughter after a, quote, tug of war. Ooh. Police say Bonello then ran outside, followed by the store manager who yelled that he had tried to abduct a child. That alerted off-duty sheriff's deputy Jonathan Bennon, who was about to enter the store, and used his patrol car to block Bonello's vehicle as he tried to escape, the sheriff's office says. So Bonello was arrested and charged with kidnapping and child abuse. Holy cow. Go mom. Go mom. That's pretty cool. And a tug of war. Can you see it? Like, oh, yeah. Poor 13-year-old girl just like stuck in the middle. Like, ah. Ah, <laughs> Save me, me, Mom. That's pretty cool. That's... The girl was uninjured. Her shirt got ripped. But... That's good news, though. Good news. Better shirt than getting kidnapped. So for any moms out there, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to play Step tug in. of war. That is – that's intense. Brandon, I mean just the fear. I don't fear. know what he was doing. He was going to just kidnap her in front of everybody. Yeah, I think I'll take this one. Uh-huh. That, that could be a, a new marketing technique for a taser. Um, sales. You know what? I, yeah. Uh, no, stop the tug of wars. Start <laughs> the taser war. Taser. it. <laughs> Ow! Can you just see That's that? That's cool. That's a cool mom. She should be the hero of the day. There you go. Okay, there's one of our heroes. We'll do another hero at a the t- bottom of the hour. Mom. Uh, way tough mom. Good job, Caitlin. Well done. Take care. Go clean the crown. I'll see you on Friday. Bring the crown in, by the way. Do you really want me to? I really do. I want to try it on. You don't have to clip it to my head, but I would like to wear it to get a taco. You might get a free taco. I know. That's what I'm thinking. I can't use that anymore. When they say, say, sir, are you you royalty? I'll be, yes, I'm Miss Lehigh. I'm Mr. Lehigh. Mr. Lehigh. (laughs) Is there a Mr. Lehigh? Uh, Yeah. That seems sexist if there's not. Well, I mean, there is. That one's more of a joke, but it's Oh, there needs to be misters if there's missuses. Well, Okay. (laughs) Just like it, just like there needs, you know, if now maybe we need to have the ladies in the draft. 
So all of a sudden, if I have to go risk my life to die for this country, maybe it's time the ladies so if, do too. So if I have to risk my life dying for this country, you should have the right to stand on stage in a bathing suit. Is that what you're saying? Because that sounds fair. Hey, been there, done that. <laughs> Don't think I haven't tried that. Hey, right. uh, we got a cool story. Um, I've got to get to this story because this is this is news, folks. This is cutting news. Uh, where it's late breaking, but apparently the government says that a man is dead. But he insists that he's very much alive. I'm not dead. What? Nothing is, you know, but I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. <laughs> no, I've got to go to Robinson's. I've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. Poor guy. He's not dead. And either is a man in Lincoln, Nebraska. He says he's not dead, despite what the Social Security Administration has said. Chuck Zellers. Learned of his demise in March after his Social Security deposit was removed from his bank account while he and his wife Alice were in Arizona. They talked to a woman at the Social Security office who checked her computer and told him, oh, by golly, you are dead. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, no. Uh, Zellers said, she told me it could be a funeral home declared you deceased or that someone just put you in uh, with a wrong keystroke or something like that. But Zeller, 73, admitted he will probably never know what happened. So he spent the last few weeks going from agency to agency to prove that he's not dead. Uh, how do you do that? I guess you're like that guy yelling, I'm not dead. Oh, no, sure you are. And that, that probably is exactly what it felt like in the agency. Oh, no, you're dead. Sorry. You've been pronounced dead by a funeral. You'll be home. dead in a few minutes. It's... <laughs> You don't look very good. Speaking of not sounding very good or looking very good, Terry uh, has a, a little throat thing going on. Something like that. Many people think you already have a deep, sultry voice. At, at times. Not, now, not today. Now it's just a deep, sickly voice. Yeah. It sounds labored and yeah. strained. and Yeah. Sounds. It happens. It happens, it happens no, to the best it to, of us. It happens know? even to the worst of us. Happens to everybody. I'll get sick and the voice drops even lower. What is the sickness? Just so I know, because I I no, want to see it coming. When no, it... Nothing really. Okay. I, I haven't been sick. It just all of a sudden I woke up this morning and. Where did you have? Were you voice. shouting at anyone last night? Did nope. you raise your voice? Did not strain it. Nope. It was in one of his like superhero role playing. Nope. Yeah. Don't don't really do that. Did you put? Uh, did you? <laughs> Put water in your CPAP machine when you were sleeping? I did not. I don't have a CPAP machine. <laughs> um, I can't figure it out. And here I am a doctor. Well, you're not that kind of doctor. What do you mean? Well, there's doctors that actually help people. Uh-huh. And then there's the cool, other then there's the cool I, I think he has a point there, actually. <laughs> like broken bone, fix the broken bone, fix illness. Yeah. That kind of doctor. And then there's these other types like of Like a doctor of archaeology, not really worth anything. No, well, not well, well, I didn't say worth. <laughs> well, I okay, said okay, they're, okay. Not, they're, not, yeah. a, they're not a medical doctor. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're more of an uh, academic okay, doctor. Great question, great point. Except then why do you come in my office and always ask me to check a mole? I don't do that. Terry. Nor do I have any moles. Not thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> I checked them all off. 
They're gone. I, hey. have, I have a Florida alligator update. No way. Remember how we've had all these different yeah. stories, alligators? Is there, is there a Florida alligator story or just an update? Lakeland, Florida police yesterday, mm-hmm. about 1.40 in the afternoon, got a call because an alligator had something that looked like a human body in its mouth. What? Yeah. So it's swimming around in this pond. And the cops show up, and they can see that it has something. And as they show up, they did something to spook the alligator. It, it, it let go Boo. of whatever it was. They were able to bring it to shore, and it was a, a human body. A human oh, body. But wow. they, they said by the rate of decomposition that it had been in the water for at least a day. What is it? Why, why are you acting like that's good news? Because it means the alligator didn't necessarily reach up, grab someone, and... Unless you kept it in the water for a day. Unless – because they do take things to the bottom Uh, and like, you know, save them for later. They said there were reports of of an alligator around some uh, docks Uh in the area. Yeah. Just kind of aggressive. Is is anybody missing? They're still investigating. They're not sure if there's – they're, you know, trying to do a head count, I guess, of the county and see what's going on. Uh, so the police were called out. They got a trapper out there to try to get the alligator. I don't know if they actually secured the alligator. Um, they responded, did not find anyone in the water or the alligator at the, at the second time later in the afternoon. Yeah. So there was more reports. So at the moment, they're still investigating what this alligator attack was. Is it an alligator mm-hmm. that happened upon something or did the alligator actually attack somebody? Okay, I've got it. I'll solve it right here. Call TLC. I think it's TLC. TLC? The show, the cable oh. station. The learning – is it the learning – It's supposed to be the learning channel, channel, but they dropped that a while ago. Yeah. So call no one TLC, really learns on the channel anymore. It's all They reality. have a gator hunter there. Yes. That just jumps in the water just dives and right swims in. right down to the bottom and then just – and you can see how he could do this. You just gently, ever so gently, you just slowly slide your hand under the gator jaw mm-hmm. and then you just gently – Lift the gator up. It's a gator whisperer. I'll bet you a thousand bucks he's missing. This says about eight fifty three a.m. Saturday morning. Police yeah. got a report of a shirt in the water and oh. pants and a backpack near the uh, the boat ramp there in the area. Oh, it couldn't have anything to do with that. No, the report reporting residents <sighs> also said there had been an aggressive alligator in the area. That Several officers crazy. responded, did not find anyone in the water or an alligator. This was on Saturday morning. The uh, fire department searched the area with a boat but did not locate anything. Uh, Sunday evening, they got a call about something large floating in the water being circled by an alligator. Oh, no. Officers were not able to locate anything in the water at that point. But then yesterday, uh-huh. the alligator had um, Here's someone. a question. So does, still... it, does it say anything about a Florida Marlin baseball player? It does not. Okay. Because I'm starting that new Gator Ball League. Gator Ball. And I'm... I'm going to have live gators in the stadium. My goal is to have an alligator update every single day because that's what we've done so far. Yeah. I think that's more than possible. I think so. I think it's probable. Um, the Yeah, you got to be careful because we don't want to mistreat gators. Here at BYU Broadcasting, we're not against gators. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile. And they got to figure out where th- who's missing. But I'd start with that gator hunter guy that swims up and brings gators from the bottom of the swamp up. I mean, that guy's he's got to be missing. 
And then any baseball player that has been test piloting this uh, gator ball. The new gator ball. Yeah. People don't take us serious on these things, but gator ball is going to be a multi-billion dollar industry someday. That's very true. Boy, that's tragic. I don't like stories like this because it steals the thunder away from our, our business opportunity. Gator ball. Bad press, press everywhere. The hottest baseball game ever invented. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how to say no. Diane Barth will be joining us uh, and talking about her Psychology Today article, why it is so hard to say no and how to get better at it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever had somebody ask you to maybe, you know, go to a party or go to an event or do something, maybe fill in for them at work, and you just don't want to? You don't want to, but you end up saying yes. And you you always seem to say yes. You just can't get yourself to say no to people. Uh, Sometimes you might be called a pleaser or just a pushover. But uh, we wanted to attack the issue and find out what's going on that makes it so hard to say no and how to handle it. Who better to help us with that than Diane Barth? She's a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst in the private practice in New York City, where she works with adults and adolescents, individuals and families. And uh, she's an author and a writer. She um, wrote an article on psychology today. Why is it too? Uh, why is it hard to say no? And how can you uh, get better at it? She's going to walk us through her article and some of her learnings. Diane Barr, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me back. Good morning. We love having you on the show. Um, and your article. I mean, why? Why is it so hard to say no? Well, there are a lot of different reasons. Uh, people are afraid of disappointing other people, afraid of being seen as selfish, um, afraid of other people's anger or retaliation. Um, sometimes we're also afraid of, we, we use not saying no as a way of avoiding doing something else that we're afraid of huh. doing. <laughs> yeah, we, per, we use it to procrastinate. Exactly. Oh, exactly. that's so, boy, that's... We're manipulative. Uh, well, our, our, our uh, unconscious minds are sometimes. Yeah, they're they, very clever. They are clever, aren't they? What would you um, – I mean, is this, is this just a – is it just a, a weak human's problem or do all of us have this problem? Oh, I think we all have the problem. Not everybody um, pays attention to it. Yeah. And some people – I actually think that it, rather than it having to do with being weak, it has to do with having um, a lot of empathy for other people because a lot of times we don't say no, um, for example, when we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or when we, um, when we think that it would actually be more troublesome or more hurtful to the other person to for us to not let them do it or for us to not do whatever it is that they're asking us to do um, than just to go ahead. And a case in point is um, I'm hearing a lot of discussion about weddings these days and um, who gets invited and who doesn't get invited Mm. and who gets a plus one and who doesn't get a plus one. Who sits where, right? Exactly. And, you know, they're real issues. They're real problems. It's your wedding. You don't want to have people you don't know or you don't care about. Um, You also have financial limits. But sometimes 
And so it's important to be able to say no, right? But right. sometimes sometimes it's just important to say yes, even though you don't particularly want that person because it would be too upsetting to them or to somebody else who's important to you. And that's that's where I think not saying no is sometimes a strength. And is I think you're right because the – the problem, I guess, is when I say yes, but I'm mad and frustrated and quietly angry, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Because yes. then I'm stewing in my decision and I haven't, I'm not moving on and benefiting from saying yes. That's right. And that's, that is what you just, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's really the, the issue is being able to make the decision to say either yes or no. And in either case, to feel that you made the right decision or that you're going you're gonna to live with that decision. And that's in the article. I talk a lot about some of the ways that you can you can feel more comfortable with your decision. And one of them is to talk it out with somebody else, um, to really have somebody who um, can help you think out the pros and cons of what you're doing and what you're not doing, and um, then make the decision based on uh, not what they're telling you to do, but what you and they have thought out. Mm. A lot of times one of the things is to think about uh, worst-case scenarios. What's the worst-case scenario if you say yes, and what's the worst-case scenario if you say no? Um, you know, I then, found, Diane, tell me if you see this. Like, there's some people that seem, and that's why I said weak earlier, but there's some that mm-hmm. seem so strong. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like if you're empathic and kind of caring, it, you you actually watch their face as you're about to say no. You see how desperate they are yes. to have you work for them. Or, yes. And um, but then there's some people that are just like, nope, I don't yeah. do that. Sorry. Yeah. And I, yeah. I sometimes wish I were more like those people, except I also know I've been blessed with, you know, uh, kind of an empathic sensitivity. Nature. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm with you on that one, Matt. Um, but I think that there are some people who are able to say no um, because they don't care about or can't see other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think that's a strength. Yeah, that's not what we want. Right. It just seems so liberating. Right. So the real work is to learn to be able to say no, even though sometimes when you say no, it's going to disappoint somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's and, and hard, to, yeah. to find ways to, to, you know, be comfortable with that. And I guess that's what talking to another person can help you with, I guess, by is yes. by going through all of your choices instead of maybe the dichotomy of either right. or. Right, exactly. I, and if, you have, if you're a person who really has trouble saying no, I mean, I, I have worked with people who can't tell a cab driver, no, don't go this way, or <laughs> they can't, I mean, they just can't say no to anybody. Right. I love the, the um, practice technique that Marsha Linehan, who uh, developed this theory of DBT, dialectical behavioral yeah. therapy, um, that she, she says, okay, so practice. So go in, she says, you know, you learn, you develop the skills over time. So go into a store, not a, not a small mom-and-pop store where you're going to be worried about the, the, the people who are selling you or trying to sell you something, but go into a big, you know, uh, um, a, um, a big box store <clears throat> or a drug store, a big drug store, and say, you know, ask a clerk to show you something and, and, and then say, Thank you so much for your help. I'm going to think about it and yeah. leave without buying anything. 
<clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Yeah. She, because she says that that, that you know, you're going to see the disappointment on their face or the frustration or they just spent 10 minutes with you and now you're walking out. You can do it nicely, mm-hmm. but you don't have to buy something. And the more you sort of practice being able to say no nicely, the easier it gets. I guess that some of that just might be maturing, right? Uh, just I I mean, so. kind of growing up in your own self. And, and what's funny, it seems like about these highly empathic people is we'd still probably say it nicer than everyone else. Probably. <laughs> Even, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's it's still okay. But I guess we too, we want to please people. We want people to yes. like us. Yes. And so there's, I mean, but there's one of the places people have a really hard time. So it's one thing if you're saying, um, no, I really don't want to go to a party, although I'll come back to that one in a second because that, that's a big one for a lot of people. But another one, if you've got two parties to go to and you don't know which one to say no to and you're afraid that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you don't go to one and mm. or, you know, or at the holidays where, um, you've got in-laws and parents and step-parents and everybody wants you to come for dinner. And, yeah. you know, you cannot go to everybody's house for dinner. So you're going to say no to somebody. How are, how are you going to do that? And whose feelings are you going to hurt? And how are you going to do it nicely? That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, but the reality is you, you are saying no to people and relationships. I guess that's one of the things we got to watch out for is, who we say no to the most, because it might be the people closest to us, right? Yes, because they may be the easiest to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's hard, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Diane Barth, and she's teaching us about um, an article she wrote in Psychology Today, Why Why Is It Hard to Say No and How to Get Better? She is the author of the book Daydreaming, Unlock the Creative Power in Your Mind, and and a writer on uh, Psychology Today's site. So we'll take a break, come back more with Diane in just a minute. We'll be right back. Folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. By the way, that was the longest break I've ever had, as Ben told me no 14 times. So apparently what Diane is teaching is working. Today we're talking with Diane Barth and her article, Why Is It Hard to Say No and How to Get Better? Uh, Diane, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Man, you've, my, now my board op <laughs> is just not, he won't be quiet. No to everything. Uh, we tell him he has to read the last part of the article. Sometimes you're yeah. supposed to say yes to your boss. Ah, no, no. <laughs> the problem is he doesn't read either. He always makes ah. us read to him, which is so, so weird. Hey, uh, talk more about what what else we can do, like at, at a party. When we have this, which party do I go to? How do I decide? This is a big issue because I'm going to offend somebody. Exactly. And, I, and there is a point, right? I have to say no somewhere in my life at some time. Yes. So it gets even more complicated because I believe that one of the struggles with with saying no is that there are often some psychological uh, conflicts that we don't always recognize, um, like the idea of procrastinating because there's actually something else that you really are afraid of doing. Mm Mm-hmm. So with parties, one of the issues is that there's also FOMO, right? Fear yeah. of missing out. Yeah. 
And so sometimes it's hard to figure out which party to say no to or which social event to say no to or which activity to say no to because we're so afraid that we're, if we say no to one, then we're going to miss out on all the fun of the other one, right. whatever is happening at the other one. And I, I, um, I'm doing some writing about social media right now. I have many, many positive things to say about social media, but the one thing that I think is, is a real problem is the idea, I think it's just, it's just fed on uh, this fear of, of missing out. And so when we say no... We're afraid that we're going to then see all these Instagrams or Facebook uh, pictures or Snapchats or whatever of all of our friends having a wonderful time doing the thing we didn't do. Right. Oh, it's so true, huh? And then, and then, oh, look what I, I missed. I missed that. I missed exactly. this. Mm. Exactly. And yeah. two, I mean, like, I have kind of a, the inverse problem where I, I pretty much say no to anything because <laughs> I'm an introvert. No one believes yes. it, but I'm also a high sensitive. So I, I've had a long day. I just want to go kind of decompress. Yes. But my wife loves getting out there, so she would love to say yes to everything. Yes. And it creates tension. So that's really interesting. I think that that kind of a marriage or that kind of a relationship with a partner is really common. We yeah. often find somebody who sort of compliments us, right? They, right? they fill in the holes that we have. And that works both ways. So one of the things you have to remember is that when you're telling your wife no, <laughs> yeah. She also benefits from that because maybe, I don't know, but, you know, it's possible, maybe she would say yes too many times. Oh, sure. No, right. Exactly. And so so sometimes it's useful to have her say yes and you have to go, but sometimes it's useful for you to say no and her have to stay home and, you know, veg out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that, and that creates kind of just a little equilibrium. Now exactly. we can, and, and then we can learn to communicate through it. Um, I also have noticed that uh, I'm a parent that is kind of the automatic no. Uh-huh. And are there people that are just, they're just kind of automatically scripted yes or no? I don't know about automatic. I mean, I think it's, it's learned. I yeah, think it's how right. we, you know, either, either we're doing what we were, what, what was done to us and we thought it was a good thing, or we're doing the opposite of what was done to us because we didn't like what was done to us. Hmm. I think the automatic is a problem. Yeah. That, that, and, and of course, as we're parenting, we are, we're doing, making a lot of decisions on the fly. So, you know, it's hard to stop and think or take a breath and think. But I actually think it's very useful to do um, one of the techniques that one of the, the psychologists I wrote about, Susan Albers, says is, is, um, is just stop before you say yes or no and take a breath. Mm. You, don't have to, you don't have to count to 10. You don't have to do anything that takes a long time. But, but stop the automatic action. Yeah, otherwise you're just, yeah, you're, just, you're just going with it. Yeah. Is um, and because if I do this as a parent, if I'm if I have a hard time saying no, I could obligate my family to things, and yes. and this might be one of the reasons, and the FOMO and all that other stuff that we don't, we're also overscheduled, we're also overprogrammed. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And maybe just the simple idea of taking a breath before we say yes or no, before right. we respond. Right. Uh, what are some other tricks that might help? Um, well, I do think talking to somebody else yeah. is really, really useful um, because it's not just that the other person is going to give you advice, 
but it's that you get it it's it's similar to taking a breath it's that you get a chance to sort of think it out um and and maybe the other person will have some things to say to you that will help you figure out what you want or sometimes just saying what you're thinking out loud to another person helps you uh figure out what you really want mm. Yeah. You brought up a really interesting point in the article about um, women, where Mm -hmm. a lot of times uh, it might be harder for them to say no. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the, the idea is that for women, because there are certain images of what a woman's supposed to be like, Mm -hmm. um, and because also because women have um, a, a fairly high need to please others, um, it's often hard to, for women to say no. What I also say in the article is that I've known plenty of men who have trouble saying no also. Yeah. So it's, it, I don't think it's all just uh, something that women struggle with. And as you said, there are some, both men and women, who can say no without oh. even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and half the men out there would be like, be like, my wife says no all the time. Exactly. And, I mean, and I, I was raised by my mom and my three sisters, so I think I picked up a heavy dose of the, the female, like, just sensitivity to, you know, not wanting to rock the boat. Yes, yes. Which is not good. <laughs> Healthy well, always. It's right? not always healthy and it's not always bad. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's what you want. It's exactly what you said in terms of you and your wife. You want a balance. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to say no when you really want to be able to, you know, when you really want to say no. I mean, I have, I live in New York City. I have clients who have troubles if somebody starts to come onto them in, on the subway. They have trouble saying no or turning oh, away from them yeah. or moving because they don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Well, that's not, you know, that's yeah. not good. Then you're being harmed, right, and exactly. violated. Exactly. Um, is, I guess, in the end, what's, what's the benefit of no? Give us a really good case for why no builds us, makes us stronger. Well, I think that in, in the best, of all situations, no is a way of setting your boundaries. It's a way of knowing who you are. It's a way of differentiating yourself from another person. Um, when, when it's working, when it's the right time to say no, it does all of those things. Yeah, okay. I think that's right. And, um, and it's, it's part of the repertoire, right? You've got to have a full repertoire or exactly. you're just kind of a, you're dancing on one leg. Exactly. Good exactly. Stuff. Put, put that in a met. meme. Hey, Diane, thanks so much for helping us again. That's uh, great insight, and we'll have you back to pick your brain some more. My pleasure. I love it. Unless you say no, of course. <laughs> thanks. Diane Barth is her name. Go check out her, her writings on psychologytoday.com. Also, Daydreaming. The book is called Daydreaming. Unlock the Creative Power of Your Mind. Good stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. All that straight ahead. Welcome back. A little shock the monkey music for you as we throw it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to see if they can figure out why we are playing shock the monkey. Let's go visit them and find out what Spencer and Jerem are doing. Hello, gentlemen. Because it's National VCR Day that clearly connects to that song. Actually, that was yesterday. (laughs) 
And not even close. Shock the Monkey Day. Why? What do you think, Spencer? Why are we playing Shock the Monkey? Oh, I don't know. Is it uh, 50 year anniversary of the first chimp in space or something? Not even close. Oh, oh come on. You guys obviously don't read the newspaper in Kenya. Um, the monkey, a monkey, stumbled into a hydroelectric power plant and triggers a four hour blackout. By the way, the monkey fell onto a transformer at a Kenyan hydroelectric dam. And the entire nation lost its electrical power. Hey, it happens, man. <laughs> Didn't a leopard get loose at the yes, Hogel Zoo? Yes, at the Hogel like Zoo. Locally to us hey, Jimmy, did you lock that leopard cage? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine you're like just getting a snack or something and you see a leopard? Mommy, is that like, a leopard? You paid to be close to the animals, so you're kind of getting what you ask for, right? Here, kitty, 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 <laughs> kitty, kitty, kitty. There's just no glass there, no bars. <laughs> That would be horrible. Yeah, they but nobody got nobody was hurt. Uh however, two people dropped churros. <laughs> has that been uh, confirmed? That has been confirmed by Channel Two News. <laughs> Video at ten. Confirmed by BYU Radio. It's been <laughs> confirmed by local news. Look oh some local news stories are amazing. Are they I great? I know because I worked in it for six years. Do you have a good story you want to share? Oh, Just a, an embarrassing I, local news moment? <laughs> an embarrassing local news moment that, that, that the law that you that you're legally and uh, morally and every day yeah something <laughs> something goes wrong oh i've said stuff on the air and you can't take it back that's the funny thing because it's all live it's live tv right and you, you say the dumbest shot. things got you got one, one shot. shot i can tell you one thing that happened to me what's super embarrassing for me yeah um, so I had, I believe my oldest child who is now almost five, Jax, Jax, he had, oh man, we were just starting to sleep train him. And so my wife is still teaching school. So I was getting home late from work, probably two or three in the morning. And then I was up every day with him at six thirty or seven. Ooh. So sleeping like three and a half hours, taking care of him and then going to work once my wife got home from teaching school. Ooh. I get to 11 o'clock at night because on the coast you have to do news at 11 o'clock. Yeah, news at 11. And I could barely keep my eyes open. <laughs> and we did a 10 o'clock newscast for the Fox affiliate, sportscast. Yeah, the people that go to bed earlier. And then I would do the sports for the ABC affiliate as well at 11. Hmm. So in between shows, it was the, the summer, nothing had changed per se so i get my show ready i'm all ready to go and i just need to go out to the set and do it but it's you know a half an hour before it's supposed to you be got a set. half hour so go take a nap i'm in my edit bay not meaning to have fallen asleep but have totally fallen asleep oh wow my producer the commercial break before i'm supposed to be on set says something to me but i don't hear it because i'm just dead asleep mm-hmm. the morning producer is a man named chris Vincenzo. Played football at Oregon. Now he's at ABC 7 in L.A. He looks over at my edit bay <laughs> with like 60 seconds before I'm supposed to be on the air. And you're on the floor. And sees me. I'm just <laughs> sitting in my chair just like slobber coming out Oh, of wow. That was he bad. He opens the door and he's like, you have 30 seconds to get on set. Wipe that drool off your chin. I, I sprint, sprint to the oh, studio. Oh, that is the worst feeling. Okay, get there, and I am totally out of breath. You're winded. When it starts. <laughs> Drooling. And so I'm trying Your to hair's all askew. Half asleep at 1130 with no breath. Oh, oh. let's look this up. Oh. 
This it video is somewhere. so terrible. This is good stuff. It was terrible. Okay, do you mind if we look it up? What station was that? KESQ. Okay, Thankfully, I had a sound bite, I think, from a coach or a player like 30 okay. seconds into my sports cast. So when that aired, I was like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Breathe through it. Breathe through it. Oh, that's the worst. That terrible. See? Terrible. Well, but you know what? Now look where it got you. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Jerem? That was like, you just went you went hard on the laugh there. I recruited Spencer back here. Did you really? Were you guys yeah. friends before? Yes. We were. Yep. Yeah. We did a show together, actually. Really? Back in the day. You didn't know that? Well, yeah, but wasn't it a show? Wasn't it um, kind of a Meet the Simpsons kind of a... No, uh, no. This was high society, high Provo Cable, <laughs> Sports Valley, Matt yeah, Townsend. Sports wow. Valley. Sports Valley. We covered Provo and Timview High School sports while we whilst students at Brigham Young. Nice use of whilst. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, we host. We did a show together. Spencer we, hosted it, and I was allowed to be on it. <laughs> then Jerem hosted and, it and when then, I left. Yeah, Spencer left to Grand Junction, Colorado, and I hosted it and brought some more. So on with this me. is where your chemistry comes from. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people no, talk about your chemistry. It goes back a long way. And we called games together as well. Not just like did the show in studio, but like we yeah. would go do play-by-play and color oh, yeah. Holy games cow. together. Yeah, See? Great. Ten Spencer, years ago. And Spencer was gone and uh, asked me about any if he knew of any openings potentially in Utah. And I said, yeah, I think we're going to hire someone new here. But, and, in the, in, and, and Matt Townsend, I tell you, in that moment, I knew he was going to work here. Did you really? Yes. You like had a feeling? Yes, I had a feeling. Did you tell him he can't sleep in the middle of the day? <laughs> yeah. And when Spencer came up here, there was no um, initial idea to have him on BYU Sports Nation or me. Wow. So it just yeah. worked out. It just yep. worked out. How c- – you know what? I'm cr- I think I just got a tear in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crying. It's a crocodile tear. So there you go, Great. man. It was, wow. uh, it, was, it was meant to be. It's pretty moving. You guys, I don't know what to say after that. So you've now heard one of my most embarrassing television experiences. Tomorrow, well, let's hear Jerem's. And yeah. how Jerem and Spencer came to be on BYU Sports Nation. How you became the couple you are. Yes. Because you guys really have a good rapport. It's cool. Appreciate that. Well, cool. I, I do get asked a lot, where's Spencer? We've been trying. Really? I'm like, I, after the show, I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I get asked all the time. We, Same we, with me. Where's, hey, do you know where Jerem is? No. <laughs> you're at home and, at the barbecue. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm at home. My wife's like, where's Spencer? I'm like, we're at our house. Like, why would Spencer be I don't know. Why don't you call Spencer yourself? Hey, uh, what's going to be on your show today? Today is one of the most unique shows we've ever done. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. But we are discussing the area of most concern for BYU football in 2016. Ooh, what's that? We'll tell you coming up. Oh, my heavens. Uh, Let's just give it away right now so nobody has to listen. That's a tease right there. I even fell in the hole. Also, Mike Rucker. Star pitch for BYU Baseball. He is expected to be drafted tomorrow. When does he expect to get drafted? What is he hearing from Major League Team? Mm. They want the draft tomorrow. Cool, Plus, cool. And Brett Kiesel on The Bachelorette. <laughs> oh, ain't, no. no <laughs> and that, that really happened. Harry Potter makes its way into the BYU and college football world. What? How do they combine for the greater good of mankind? The we greater Harry, good. We will have our Harry Potter expert... Live on the show. Is there really and a I'm Harry? Wow. Okay. I am not kidding. This, this dude person, knows his stuff. This dude, just to get, just, he has gonna, contributed. Be, he has contributed 
to the Harry Potter Wikipedia page. Wow. And yeah, now, not anyone can just log on to Wikipedia. No. Oh, I'm hearing they can. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, he he will join us. BYU was put in Ravenclaw. All all the college football teams were classified by Interesting. Reddit College Football. Ravenclaw. He will weigh in on that. Yeah. Does okay. he think that the Ravenclaw is that a legitimation is a yeah. fair assessment of BYU Did football? the sorting hat do its job is yeah, what you're exactly. asking? Exactly. Okay. He's, he ran out of flu powder. He's going to join us on the phone, unfortunately. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> it's... It will be awesome, Matt. I trust me. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Potters out there, alert nerd. You, (laughs) you are not going to want to miss this. He read all seven books twice last summer. Really? Dumbledore. Yes. Nerd. Okay, guys, it's going to be a great show. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. That's going to be fun. BYU Sports Nation. Say goodbye in Dumbledore voice. Yeah, can you? Oh, Matt Townsend. That's... I wish you the best, my friend. Make me drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've captured it, boys. <laughs> we've got those. We'll be playing those again for you tomorrow. Those are great. That's uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter. The boy who lived. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wish we were having Hermione on. Anyway. Yeah, we've, we've, I think we've had it all now. Good stuff. Have a great show. Thank you. Knock them dead. For the win. <laughs> Hasta la vista. Wow. <laughs> Dumbledore. We had we just had Dumbledore on the show. Mark the day. Mark the day Dumbledore visited. Boy, they are um, <laughs> they're calling in the reserves now. They've got I guess BYU's in Ravenclaw. I'm pretty sure I took a test and I'm in Ravenclaw too, so I'm Gryffindor. Okay. <laughs> Whatever that means. If you're a nerd. Uh, we got it. We got another story for you out of Panama City, Florida. Weird. It's out of Florida. Part-time jail guard shot himself in the leg while preparing for a job interview. Oh come on! I know. An investigation is underway into a shooting outside an elementary school in which a part-time jail guard shot himself in the leg while preparing for a job interview. Travis Anthony Holland, 28, was taken to the hospital after he accidentally discharged a revolver outside Oscar Patterson Elementary School, according to law enforcement reports. Part-time detention officer Holland was waiting to interview for a part-time janitorial position when he accidentally shot himself in the leg. Ouch. Uh, He was treated for gunshot wound at a local hospital and released shortly after the incident. Uh, I'm going to bet he didn't get that job. I can I can clean blood out of the carpet. Yeah, what are your best qualities, Mr. Holland? Well, I'm a great shot. <laughs> I done shot my leg off before the last interview. That's so sad. Do you have a tourniquet? <laughs> that is so funny. That uh, I'm not funny. It's sad. Tragic. Uh, but again, you ought not maybe – you got to be careful. A, you're around kids, you're around school. B, you're looking for a job. I think we'll need to send our reporters out to see if he got the job. That's I'm, that's important. To... I'm going to bet with the fact that uh, the, attorney, the state attorney's office is looking into it, that there are gun bans on school campuses and that the PCPD is still investi- investigating the incident. I'm going to bet he didn't get the job. Inter- I'm going to bet he didn't even have an interview. Uh, unless it was done in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. What was that sound? Uh, Jimmy, did you hear something in the hallway? 
Can you go see if any of our candidates for the next job shot somebody? Uh, That's so bad. My leg. My leg. <laughs> and by the way, don't bring your gun to your janitor interview. That just seems like old school. I don't want to. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying if you want the job, don't bring your gun to school. Hey, as you know, we always like to tell a hero story. This is a great story. Councilman apprehends a neighborhood burglar. He knows it could have turned out bad, but Roselle, uh, New Jersey Councilman Reginald Atkins had a decision to chase a burglar, came from a single deep desire, the need to protect his family. Atkins chased and tackled a man who, it turns out, has a long criminal record on charges of burglary and drug possession. Atkins, who, along with his wife Cynthia, has been the longtime pastor at a borough church, said that on Friday night he went after a man who was peering into his house and his neighbor's house. Atkins said the 17-year-old daughter was washing dishes in the kitchen at about 11.30 p.m. when she looked out the window and saw a man looking into the neighbor's house and then at her house. She ran upstairs to tell her parents, yelling to call his wife to call the police. Atkins ran outside to his driveway and confronted the man who was stealing a mountain bike from the backyard. He told the man to stop, but the intruder shoved him and fled. The councilman took off behind him, chased him, tackled the burglar, and held the person down until the police arrived. They, uh, anyway, he did it. Saved the day, saved the family, saved the neighborhood. You can only wonder what would have happened if the intruder had entered through a window, he said. Anyway, he's uh, now being lauded as a hero. And he's a hero right here on the Matt Townsend Show as well. Folks, all of us are heroes. You're a hero. We just got to be there and do what we need to do. No need for praise, but just take care of each other. That's the show. Till tomorrow. Watch out for each other. Take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.